What is up, everyone? Welcome to Legit Cool Podcast. My name is River Villy, and welcome to another round of the Legacy Series. This is uh, the eighth of the Legacy Series, the eighth of the Christopher Nolan uh, movie lineup, and I'm joined again by my good friend Nathan Sammy. Yo, yo, yo! Hey, River. How you doing, man? <laughs> Man, I am like fresh out of a screening and I know like you saw it like two, three weeks ago. Yeah, maybe, maybe even more. (laughs) (laughs) But that's, uh, that's good. We're going to have different perspectives, I think. That's, uh, that's always a good way to be going into these. I wonder if there's always like an advantage or a disadvantage, you know, for someone who's like seen it so fresh or someone who's like taken a long time to think about. Um, the movie, gather their thoughts and all that kind of stuff. You'll probably have, I guess, some kind of advantage because you can, you've probably like spent a lot of really good time um, discerning what you saw, what you experienced, and how many times have you seen it now? Sure. This is, well, so when I watched it, uh, that was my second time. And the first time I watched it was actually at home many years ago but actually like a few months after the movie had already come out it was already on dvd so i had it on dvd and uh and i wasn't the biggest fan i know i wasn't the biggest fan the first time i saw it so uh i came around a lot this time so i'm really keen to talk about because oh my goodness this this movie i wonder if it's like good wine it gets better with age or maybe we've we've gotten better with age and uh, (laughs) a little bit of both us maybe maybe it's a bit get a little bit better with age, you know. We we age nicely like a fine wine. I oh, actually yeah, find that so. um, that that uh, popular saying really cringe, to be honest. <laughs> <laughs> well, um, I'll be cringe then. I'm like I'm so fresh out of this. So like uh, for the listeners, I literally just finished watching Interstellar like ten minutes ago, um, and I think the last time I seen this movie might have been four or five years ago so and um i guess in all respects it's probably um much better that i have it so fresh in my mind right now because um there is so many parts of this film that are so patchy that i can't even remember and especially the story itself the story it's actually a very simple story to follow but like all christopher nolan movies the details when you get caught up in the details it becomes super dense it becomes really tricky to try and maneuver your way around his sure. scripting, his dialogue, and yeah. Just, I um, think um, I'm, I'm really excited to talk about it. I think with this film as well, I remember there was a bit of uh, a bit more criticism. I think on uh, some parts of the movie we'll get to later that uh, mm. Nolan wasn't used to, uh, maybe particularly after Inception. So I think uh, what this movie does. It does really well, but it might be a little left of field to what Nolan usually does. And I think that's why, uh, yeah, yeah, I'm really keen. I'm really excited about this. And I think it's going to be the same when we get to Dunkirk too. We're going to jump into <laughs> some some different genres for uh, Nolan and see how he handles them. So, <laughs> For sure. For sure. Absolutely. So for those of you who are joining us for the first time, um, this is part of our Legacy Series or hashtag Legacy Series. Um, starting on Christopher Nolan and all the films that he's done. Um, and this is the eighth film that he's done in the lineup, <clears throat> not including um, his very first movie, <laughs> the following, which we uh, uh, purposely left out for 
um, no particular reason, but we just lifted it out. Um, yeah, and this is going to be the third to last movie that we do out of Christopher Nolan before his big movie that comes out next year, which is Oppenheimer. Oppenheimer? Yeah, Oppenheimer. I think, yeah, yeah. Named after the guy who invented the atomic bomb. Yeah. Um, <laughs> big damn. Um, so yeah, man, this this movie is a large movie. It's actually one of his longest movies too. Um, it's almost three hours long. So uh, it just goes a little bit longer than The Dark Knight um, and The Dark Knight Rises. I think The Dark Knight, the Dark Knight is probably still one of his longest movies, but um, Interstellar is currently his longest movie. Um, with a budget of 165 million, it grossed 677 million dollars worldwide, which I'm a little bit surprised about. You know, for Dolan, um, the last movie that he done was The Dark Knight Rises, and that got over a billion dollars. So this probably says a little bit about what people expect about uh, expect from Nolan and the kind of movies that he makes. You know, coming off of a high, the Dark Knight trilogy. And going into something like Interstellar, people have a set of expectations. But why do you think that there's such a disparity between like um, grossing over a billion dollars compared to this movie, which kind of got a measly six hundred and seventy-seven million? Now, granted, it did make budget, but what do you reckon? For sure, I uh, I do think there is that sense of what people will show up for and what people won't, and I guess you know Batman. <laughs> probably top three most famous superheroes of all time and you top have three option. not even number one. Oh yeah I'm, I'm gonna say top three but uh that's <laughs> that's a conversation for another episode <laughs> we should do it we should do a top 10 uh superhero ranking episode one day uh yeah. <laughs> however on that auteur like nolan as an auteur isn't ready to I think at this point in his career, even this movie is the one that starts to set that example to the audience that he's not just Interception and Batman Begins and The Dark Knight. He also does The Prestige. He does Interstellar. He does Dunkirk. Uh, What I think we were excited about with Tenet was we thought it might be a return to that more popular culture vibe. (laughs) Uh, Mm. Where actually, in many ways, maybe what disappointed people about Tenet, aside from the soundscape was was that it, it, it was continuing this um, push into sci-fi tropes and ideas, uh, which is really what Nolan's more about than anything else. Mm-hmm. Mm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you're right. I mean, there's... there's uh, I, I think there is a set of unrealistic expectations for Christopher Nolan. And you know, I, I think before the Dark Knight trilogy came out, nobody had even heard the name Christopher Nolan, um, you'd probably only come across that kind of knowledge through big film nerds, you know, people that mm. were really into Memento, people that were really into um, maybe even Insomnia, but it was more so Memento that was kind of the cult classic, that kind of um, jewel in the rough that film nerds knew about, non-film people didn't really quite know about. So... Yeah, I, I think seeing Christopher Nolan do such a movie like this, which is heavy sci-fi based, um, and like a classic sci-fi as well, with a huge part of it being science accurate, 
I remember when I saw uh, yeah. the behind the scenes with this a long time ago, um, the kind of vigorous work that he'd done to uh, research and get the right people to consult into this film um, so that all the science was 100% concrete. So that's pretty, pretty crazy. So I reckon with this film, like, it's so interesting to see this movie both as something that was pegged to be a blockbuster, but also at the same time as just such a Nolan film where he doesn't want to shy away from what he wants to tell. And it, I think it is indicative of why it didn't make as much as it did <laughs> because all the, all the Star Wars fans rocked up on the first day and on the second day they told all the Star Trek fans not to go. <laughs> <laughs> all the Batman fans showed up and they were like, yeah, this is, doesn't have superheroes in it. And then all the Kubrick fans were like, oh, shit, he's not doing Batman anymore. And then <laughs> they, uh, mm. they, uh, they turned up again, but they, they just don't, they don't have that rewatchability factor that the Marvel Star Wars stands to. So that's, that's my, that's my uh, thesis for why this film didn't oh, do man. as well. Oh, man, and that's where like, I would disagree. Is like, this has total rewatchability, but it's a different type of rewatchability. You know, yeah. it's the kind of rewatchability where if I want, if I want to experience something serious and deep, something with like big meaning behind it yeah. and something that also questions our existence, our beliefs, all that kind of stuff, I'd love to rewatch this again. I mean, I could watch this tomorrow, you know what I mean? For sure. <laughs> For sure. I think <laughs> watching this back, and I'm pretty sure that the year was 2015, when I first watched it to now is that sense of like, yeah, I didn't think I had the capacity to watch a three hour movie, let alone one where I didn't really know what was going on half the time. <laughs> but this is like, you know, the strange thing about this runtime though, it's like, it's just shy of three hours. Mm. Um, the movie does a tremendous job at showing us the timeline while also not feeling like a three hour movie. It's really kind of insane. It's, um, I think if you look at the act structure as well, I think because we're sitting with, we'll get to this when we jump into a bit more, but following Matthew McConaughey's character for the majority of the film and then seeing him perceive time as the world outside of his little spaceship moves at a very different pace. That sense of, I don't know, I think Nolan, as far as pacing goes, pace this movie exceptionally well to create tension in something that was very much an enfolding mega, what would you call it? What's an epic? It's almost, it's, epic yeah, it's, almost, it's, it's like, yeah, it's like Spartacus. It's like this epic mm. journey, hero's journey that, that yeah. Matthew McConaughey's character goes on. I think we're always like a little bit, uh, we're a little bit, com- uh, comprehensive (laughs) or is a little bit shy at using the word epic because it's so overused um, to describe films but if there's a film that deserves that word epic then it's definitely going to be interstellar i mean just the scope itself you could just label it epic yeah and Um, and and the most ridiculous filming of outer space I think that oh, that like that hits you. You watch so much again, watching so much Star Wars, nothing captures how large <laughs> space is like this movie does. Oh man. Yeah, yeah. I couldn't agree more. Um 
so you know after its somewhat successful uh gross box office of 677 million just shy of 700 million um it went on to be nominated at the 2015 oscars for original score sound mixing sound editing production design and vfx and only came away with one oscar which was for which was visual effects yeah what what, what else is going on like, that year oh man <laughs> I I don't know, but you know, it's like Nolan always falls victim at never getting nominated or even winning the requisite categories that I think he deserves. Like yeah, best director, true. for example. I don't think he's actually ever been nominated for best director for any of his films. Really? That yeah, that mm. like I mean, I like don't quote me on it, but I'm yeah. like it's it's that rare that I can't even sort of imagine him being nominated in the past for any of his um, films as best director. Look which at him up. Just, yeah. <laughs> that, yeah, that's so true. I, I think I think he definitely has that like there's something a little safe about Nolan and then the other side of it, he's very unsafe as a as a as a director. Yeah. Probably um, a little bit unsettling and probably overly too complex for the Oscar Academy, but I mean, at, at this point of of my um, film journey and my adulthood, I should say, I don't really care about the Oscar awards. <laughs> I haven't actually cared about the Oscar awards for a very long time, but they are prestigious awards, and it's it's less about the Academy and what and, and the kind of BS that the Academy is, but it's more so the recognition and the respect that he deserves yeah. from Hollywood, right? That um, prestige, yeah, 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 that prestige, and like prestige, the prestige is a is a great example of a movie that should have been nominated for Best Director. Yeah. And that's probably no one of his cleanest, cleanest movies from a story. T- I, I, yep. I, I'd put it as my number one. Like it's his mm. cleanest movie from a storytelling perspective an acting yep. perspective. The, yeah. the elements are all there. So it, if, if that doesn't win something, you wouldn't be as surprised when Interstellar, does only come away mm. with one. And like the Oscar it comes away with, it definitely should win. So <laughs> that's fine. <laughs> sure. I mean, the visual effects are absolutely stunning in this movie. Um, there is so much to praise about this movie and the visual effects is clearly, clearly one of the biggest things. For sure. Um, great things for this movie. So, um, and this is also the first movie that Nolan is doing without his right-hand man, Wally Fister. And he decided mm-hmm. to bring in director of photography, Hoyt van Hoytema, who's before <laughs> Interstellar, uh, before Interstellar, he was popular for The Fighter, Tinker Tailor, Soldier Spy, and Her. And then after cool. Her, he got into uh, Interstellar. So interesting choice to go with someone like that because um, I, I think with cinematography obviously like cinematography is a huge important recipe to nolan films and mm. to not go with wally fister for the very first time for a, like since memento actually he hasn't actually mm. used um he's been using wally fister since memento so to go with someone new is a big risk um but it pays off in spades um i, I think oh, this movie absolutely. is stunning like absolutely stunning <laughs> to look at and I was actually kind of fearful when I found out that Wally Fisser wasn't going to do this. And it wasn't because, like, Wally didn't want to be a part of this movie. It was because Wally was getting into his directorial debut um, with the movie Transcendence. Did you see Transcendence? Haven't seen Transcendence. I don't think I've seen Transcendence. Yeah, you I don't think I've seen You probably shouldn't, it. though. <laughs> <laughs> 
His debut, um, or more like his <laughs> one-hit wonder. <laughs> one-hit wonder, yeah. Poor guy. It's like, I think he's got some good intentions in being a director, and I think he shows some skill at being a director. Um, but the movie's a bit of a flop. Um, yeah. just from a storytelling perspective, from a character building perspective. And Johnny Depp's the main actor for that movie. Ah, oh, is he? Oh, mm. cool. Mm. I feel like I must yep. have seen Transcendence. It seems like a movie I've, <laughs> I would have seen. But yeah, yeah. interesting. I think like yeah. as a whole, the DOP of this, like again, this does have that sense of like what 2001 Space Odyssey is with large scopes of the movie where it's sound design, it's visual, it's storytelling through through the environment and not through the acting. Um, mm. That yeah, that I, oh man, it's an amazing. It's just uh, Hoyt van Hoytema did a very good job. <laughs> Hoyt van Hoytema, yeah, and he continues to use him after Interstellar as well. He uses him in Doug Kirk, uses him in Tenet, and he's also using him in Oppenheimer. Very cool. Um, so goodbye, Wally Fister. See you later. You have lost your job. <laughs> um, so uh, Hans Zimmer is again coming back to do the music for this, and he actually steps out of the zone. And I, I don't know if you noticed, but the music in Interstellar is very non-Hans Zimmer-esque, or at least I should say non-Hans Zimmer, Nolan-esque. You usually hear the big horns. You usually hear the big um, cellos. No, I don't know. I'm just making up instruments, but <laughs> horns. I know <laughs> horns. I know. Like he likes to use a lot of the drums. You know what it's a very Nolan movie sounds like? Heavy, heavy bass. Heavy yeah, bass. This movie. Yeah. This yeah. movie doesn't doesn't have that as much. I think as there's there's vastness, and I think a, a theme. Well, it's yeah, it is a theme. The idea of the desert and emptiness and scarcity. I think the music mm. reflects that. Uh, yeah, like space. Oh, that's is a good desert. point. That's actually a and very good point. All of the places that they, all of the lands that they go to have that continued sense of desert from mm. the water planet to uh, the ice planet to um, to Earth that they're leaving as well. And I think mm. there's that loneliness and emptiness in the film that's so, oh man, it's, it's wild. Um, yeah, it's like, the, the, the it's like a slow death. That's the idea. The movie is all about humanity's slow death. And mm-hmm. so the music reflects that. But mm-hmm. then there is hope. There is catharsis. There is always very important for a Nolan movie. Is a Nolan movie, although it can be so deep and dramatic and um, quite hopeless. Um, usually, he has an ending that gives you a little bit of catharsis. Mm. Um, yeah, like that's a really good way of describing the music, and the music really does set the tone in this, and it does give you that sense of emptiness, that sense of like. Um, we've got nothing to live for anymore. Um, mm. And the earth, I, I don't know if you got this as well, but the earth feels like it's already empty. Yeah. Um, like, you know, I, I think because a lot of it is strategically in a small town, you know, he purposely wanted to use the small town as like the foreground or the representation of earth, which is kind of a good idea, I suppose. But just anywhere they go, even like when they um, find the coordinates to get to the, um, the secret base to secret NASA, <laughs> like even their journey to there, it just seems like no one's around anymore. Yeah. And it does give you that sort of like airy feeling of like fear and kind of like, oh, this is, this is not a good feeling. It's a very uncomfortable 
um, nerve-wracking feeling. So, yeah. yeah, really good job with the score. But I also find that the score um, gives you this uh, kind of religious uh, feeling as well, like with the organs. Like, you know, there's a powerful organ in this in this movie. It's like the... Like, really, really powerful organ, which kind of gives you this religious experience, like not in the way of him trying to give you a religious experience, but more just in the sense of like, we're going to transcend earth, right? We're going to go beyond the stars and we're going to like travel to the depth, to the depths of like the multiverse or whatever it is, you know, through <laughs> the depths of the black hole to discover where hope could possibly exist. Yeah. Um, so and yeah, that's what also, I picked up from as well. And there's also an element of the supernatural, which, is hinted at the beginning of the film and progresses as the story goes on. Yeah. That, yeah. that I think that organ does like Nolan is intentionally pushing into that too, with this sense mm. of uh, there's a directive from this higher being. <laughs> I was, uh, I, love, I was I surprised that, that so he committed to that concept as well, actually. Yeah. It's, it's very, <laughs> I think watching it again now, Several years later, it, it definitely hits a different note mm. around, and it's those concepts around hope and uh, belief and uh, and trust as well. Like, and I think like Murph's character too is all about loss of loss of trust and loss of hope. Mm. Um, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, we even get yeah. a young Timothy Chalamet in this. How funny is that? Oh, I know. I actually I, I was forgot so shocked I when I watched it. I, I, I totally forgot he was in the movie too. But I guess like back then, when I when I first watched it in 2014, um, I didn't obviously pay attention to who Timothy Chalamet was. No. Uh, but then watching it again, I was like, oh, shit, that's Timothy Chalamet. Yeah, he, does a, he does a really good job as well. It's sweet. Oh, it's he does of, a great job. I would have loved to see prick. more of uh, Timothy Chalamet. Chalamet. Um, but we'll, we'll get into those notes as to why I wanted to see him a bit more. Yeah. Um, sure. so yeah, released in November 7th, 2014, uh, and written by not just Christopher Nolan, but also his brother, Jonathan Nolan, who helped co-write, um, the Dark Knight trilogy. Um, and this movie is stacked, like as you would expect in a Christopher Nolan movie up into his career right now, it is stacked with some superstars. We've got Matthew McConaughey, who's playing Cooper, who's our lead role in this. We've got Anne Hathaway playing Brand. Uh, we got Jessica, Jess- <laughs> Jessica Chastain <laughs> playing uh, older Murph. We have Mackenzie Foy, who plays a 10-year-old Murph, who, by the way, I think she was amazing in this movie. Phenomenal. She really... Do you know, where, do you know where she's the from? The movie is hung up. Um... No, 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 I was just looking I, her up. I was like, well, how do I know her? I just uh, seen her recently because I watched, I watched it like three weeks ago. She's in Twilight as the daughter of uh, Edward, Edward and uh. Bella. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, oh, that's where Whoa. she's from. <laughs> that next, uh, the next legacy series will be uh, River Only production. <laughs> will not be. Uh, including those movies. Thank you very much. <laughs> uh, then we have Alan Burn, uh, Burstein, who plays the very older Murph. Oh, by the way, spoiler territory. I don't think anybody should know that there is a older, older Murph in this movie. We have uh, John Lithgow, who plays Donald. Timothy Chalamet, who plays a young Tom at 15 years old. Um, and then we also got uh, 
two of my favorite characters in this movie. Uh, Bill <laughs> Irwin. Um, I actually know Bill Irwin from a TV series that I used to follow a lot. Um, the Mentalist. Um, I never watched Mentalist Day. <laughs> oh man, The Mentalist is amazing. You need to do yourself a favor and watch The yeah. Mentalist, one of the greatest okay. TV series ever made. Okay. Um, so okay. Bill Irwin, he's he's in that TV series as well, and he plays the voice of Tars, and he's actually one of my favorite characters in the movie. He's so good in this. That the yeah, we'll we'll get into that for sure. <laughs> <laughs> and then we have the other um, voice over uh, playing. Case, uh, played by Josh Stewart, who is also a Nolan regular. Well, s- slowly becoming a Nolan regular. He was in The Dark Knight Rises um, in Bane's team. Oh, um, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know his face. Yeah, He's he like usually like that much. crony red shirt kind of guy. Seems to have a bit yeah. of responsibility. I feel like he must be in an MCU something. With like something. evil eyes. Yeah, yeah. He's got the <laughs> evil eyes. <laughs> uh, then we have Casey Affleck who plays Tom which is the older version of Timothy Chalamet's character and we also have Wes Bentley who plays Doyle and we probably shouldn't forget Michael Caine back in <laughs> Michael Caine pretty much in every single Christopher Nolan movie and he plays Professor Brand who is the father of Anne Hathaway's character Brand you missed someone um, but uh, but who did that intentionally uh, <laughs> who did I, I miss have a think about it. A very famous cameo that isn't really a cameo. Oh, quite a bit. I think, yeah, yeah. Spoilers. He did that purposely. Spoilers, everyone. Uh, spoilers, everyone. I was, like, I was going through I was like, was he even in this movie? Yeah. <laughs> and everyone's... <laughs> it was I, a big this surprise. My sec- second favorite of uh, my um, uh, of his cameos. Maybe third. Oh, I think okay. Yeah. He does a lot of he does a lot of cameos. Good old. He does a lot of uh, the secret roles, and I think I yeah, love he, that. he likes that. I think it's <laughs> it's very playful, and I, I do like that about him. So yes, guys, the uh, the secret uh, additional star is Mr. Matt Damon himself as Mister mm-hmm. Man. <laughs> Mister Man, that's right. Mister Man, Man. Doctor Man, Doctor Man. Sorry, sorry. Can't forget <laughs> that. What a jerk. He's great in this. He I, I'm so, actually surprised. He's it's so like, good in this movie. He is very, very good. I'm surprised that IMDb hasn't revealed it. It's been so long since the movie came out, so don't it's know great. what's up there. Like it's that. great. <laughs> so I want to start with you, Nathan. Yeah. What was your first impression seeing this? Uh, we won't go to the very first time that you saw this movie, but what was your first impressions? Um I was going to say spoiler-free, but we're already past that now. <laughs> Just what are your first impressions of this movie? What are your sort of kind of summed up thoughts before we get into the recap? Yeah, for sure. I uh, I think maybe part of this movie and why I very much enjoyed it this time around was I felt more like I could connect or relate to Matthew McConaughey's character, the sense of desperation or isolation or need to protect I don't know, maybe I had that back then, but I, I, I just um, very much felt that sense of desperation and responsibility that he has. And that really carried me through the movie with him, this want for him to succeed. And I think Nolan does this really well. What I love about that desperation was that it wasn't just pitched in who he was as a character, but in the world that Nolan had created, that small town. I think they meant the baseball game and watching the dust clouds arrive. Um, and there's a lot of little bits to the movie that really just added up. So one thing I think 
that people didn't like uh, and found jarring. And I found jarring as well was just Timothy Chalamet's character and uh, later Casey Affleck's character, Tom, mm. just kind of disappears from the story. Uh, mm. But he doesn't, like, that. that's really well explained <laughs> how and why uh, he, he disappears. It's his his lack of connectivity to his father as the years go on, as he has a family, as he has a child, as he loses his child, as his marriage, I think his marriage starts to break down as well. Like there's just so much going on in that real, and it's like a really quick snapshot, which helps you also recognize how, how important like, like uh, Coop's and Murph's relationship as well is as well. I, I, I just, that is just beautifully done. Um, and I think alongside that, like that, I love dystopic fiction. And then I also love sci-fi and like this, this, this movie too reminded me a lot of uh, Battlestar Galactica. I <laughs> 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 like this, this earth's desperation to try and find something more. Uh, mm-hmm. Yeah, mm-hmm. man, like just very cool. I think, I think the thing that I, I enjoyed too was his final premise, which I think we'll talk about later. Uh, but what it mm. did, do for me, it also, I feel like it shoehorns the movie a little bit by creating this closed loop. And I kind of like having a bit more ambiguity, uh, but I feel like the movie really worked hard to try and close off all the things that were mysteries in the movie. It intends to explain them all by the end. I don't know if I really, yeah, I don't know. It's very good that he did that, but um, yeah, some of that I wouldn't have minded keeping a mystery. So yeah. Mm. Oh, interesting. Mm. I'm I'm interested to hear what you prefer to keep as a mystery. Um, you can yeah, for sure unfold that during the recap. <clears throat> what about um, for you? For me, uh, <laughs> I I absolutely love this movie. I didn't realize how much I would love this movie after seeing it again. You know, so fresh, like 10, 20 minutes ago. Just finished watching it. Um, just such a strong start, like super, super strong start. Laid out the foundation for the characters, laid out the foundation for the story, you know, what we're going to get ourselves into. It's all done in the space of like 10 minutes, maybe even less. Mm. Um, the storytelling's and, phenomenal for like where oh, Coop and his whole family stands. Yeah, what a great the, way to start The stake of the world, yeah. Mm. The cough. Um, the cough is like so. Yeah, 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 yeah. even down to the cough. Like so, I really, I really dug and appreciated what Nolan wanted to do because usually Nolan likes to be a mysterious guy. Usually, in all of all of his films, he likes to give you a little bit of um, high dramatic, high tension, high speed type stuff at the beginning of the film. But you have you still have no idea what you're getting yourself into. I'm pretty sure that Interstellar is the first one where he gives you everything. He gives you like what you're saying, the stakes. He gives you the urgency. He gives you the mm. background of the characters, gives you the setting, and he also gives you a solution right at the beginning of the film. The solution mm. is to get out, get away from um, Earth. It's not to save it, but it's to leave it. So I thought that was gripping, and I felt really emotional. Like right at the beginning, I was already like super emotional in the film. Yeah. <laughs> uh, did you find it very emotional? Yeah, no, I, I did as well. I um. And maybe maybe it's us having lived through this pandemic now as well. But <laughs> there's a lot of realities of this earth, right? That 
like when I think there's that bit in uh, the NASA headquarters where they say it's out there, like our hope isn't here, it's out there. That mm. that really strikes a chord of um, yeah, and 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 it strikes a chord with human resilience and resourcefulness as well. Mm. Yeah, yeah. As far as ph- philosophical movies go, like, and you and I both are well, yeah, we're we're armchair philosophers. I think for both yeah. of us that really strikes a chord that a lot of other Nolan's other movies don't really push into that. They push into the science fiction concept that he's trying to get across, but mm. like prestige is a revenge tale and uh, Batman, that man does have those core concepts around justice and what is right. Mm. But this movie really pushes into humanity and ontology and, uh, the mm. villain isn't out Good there. Word. Good word. Or, ontology. Yeah. yeah, yeah <laughs> ontology. The villain even isn't, um, present in the movie you might say dr man is a villain but you can also understand what he's what he's trying to do like when you get to that point in the story he sees Mm. a hopelessness but he also sees certain hopes that he wants to Mm. he wants to implant into the future and i think Mm. what's really interesting about the movie too going forward into the into the mission that they are setting out on is that there's three like there's basically three different options and then a plan B and a plan C, you know, like they've got so many, Oh, like this might not work. Oh, this might not work. So you start Mm. to feel that too, you know, like, Mm -hmm. so cool. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's, yeah, that's definitely the reason why I find it so emotionally grounded um, is that there's an equal amount of uh, science There's an equal amount of like theory. um, And also, uh, I guess trying to tap into existentialism to the degree of like questioning where could we go um, or what does it mean to be human beings, I, I mm. think is a, also a concept and an idea that he, he wanted to explore in this. Um, mm. But really, like, I'm just so taken aback by how emotional the whole film is. And I think a lot of the emotion mm. comes, comes into focus with the relationship between Coop and Murph. Um, so I, I find that this movie has heart because at the center of it is that strong relationship between the father and the daughter. And it's such mm. a, it's such a grueling relationship. And I think Nolan framed it so well that, you know, he, he, he gave us like how important it is for Coop to be a father and how much it's going to just kill him, you know, to, to sacrifice his relationship with his daughter, but he's also an explorer and he's also a person that's wanting to do great for the, for human kind or for humanity. Um, so, yeah. and I think it's, it's, it's sort of framed uh, so well to show that inner struggle and that challenge that he has to go through. Um, but he, he clings on to that piece of hope that he will see his daughter one day again. And then of course, mm-hmm. like he just goes through so many different challenges as, as the, um, exploration um, progresses throughout the movie. Like, obviously, there's a lot of challenges that get in the way, which is, but part of the reason why this movie is actually in, insanely incredible because there are there are stakes upon stakes upon stakes that just like it's uh, it's pretty rabid. <laughs> oh shit! I was just thinking, oh man, how you must have felt during the freaking water planet scene. I oh, watching it this time, yeah. I was like losing my shit. I was so mm. anxious. Like it was, yeah. Oh man, I I mean so, the water so many amazing was, was moments. A, 
Yeah, lots of amazing moments. I think so many of them are like breathtaking moments just because of the way they're shot, like just from a visual standpoint. Like if, you, if, you're, if you're a guy that doesn't like Interstellar and hopefully we can change your mind by the end of this uh, recap and this cast, hopefully you can just appreciate the visuals because the visuals is just objectively groundbreaking technology. I'm nice. like, yeah, <laughs> you really, like you were saying before, you really feel the vastness of space. You feel the vastness of like, potential multi-universes out there or just the universe itself the universe itself is in our own solar system is big but then they leave our solar system and then you just it's just unbelievable it's actually hard to describe or come up with like really good descriptors to give it justice as to why it's so beautiful i think that sense of awe that we have in the film and you mentioned this before but like that this the science fact is as true to form as possible. Mm-hmm. And that gives those those elements of the, the, the almost unbelievable, that real mm-hmm. sense of, of reality. So whether it is just how, how they play around with time manipulation, but they explain very clearly and it's, it's true to how, how that would actually work or how sound works in space or how even uh, mm-hmm. with the, the new technology that they display, so even the things like the ships... Uh, so, like, the spaceship that they use when they go down to the planet, like, they're using mm. tech that you could see us progressing towards with, like, the air thrusters and all that, whilst also keeping old tech that we do have now. Like, and, and I think that's yeah. really, yeah, that, oh, man, it is just very cool. I think I think it just gives it more of a human touch as well. So rather than thinking that 2067... Um, is like a year in which humanity is thriving and we have flying cars and we have like we have like gigantic metal slides that start from 500 feet in the air or something that propel you into the ocean like <laughs> it's, it's not that kind of like sort of plasticky robot techy almost like Blade Runner future but it's more we've we've gone into the future we've done some great things but now we don't really know how to sustain our our future because we're being wiped away by just nature itself yeah. <laughs> and we, like we have technic- no answers to it yeah there's technological progression and regression as well in this film mm-hmm. and that's yeah. like even their spaceships um their space suits i think it's the same thing their space suits yeah they're old because they don't give nasa any money anymore <laughs> like yeah <laughs> yeah we can't I, let people know I, what we're doing because they'll be like why are you wasting resources which makes sense mm. like and I love it when he, at the sense, very yeah. beginning, takes down the drone. Like, oh, mm. so cool. Yeah. Right. It's very cool. I appreciated the detail in it. The detail is down to, like, how everything looked aged. Um, even mm. their own spacecraft. Like, you know, when they go into their pods, like, all of that is all aged as well. Yeah. Um, which, yeah, there's a lot of, like, science stuff that I don't understand what it was. And I was always like, what is that yeah. called? You know, what is, yeah. what is that zip thing called? Like, why are they going into the water? <laughs> like, explain. But, of course, what this movie would have suffered for is just over-explanation around yeah. the science. And I'm so glad that the movie turned out, turned out the way it is without being yeah. so science-heavy and having to just explain to the audience, oh, this is this piece of science, and this is, like, what happens when they go into hibernation and it takes this long. Yeah. Or, you could just watch, like, a, a couple of scenes where they show that with Matt Damon with them with them traveling mm-hmm. with him just saying oh we slept for like six months <laughs> oh, yeah. okay yeah. <laughs> yeah 
exactly so, so yeah good. amazing movie and let's get into the recap um For so sure. the recap is just us going through the entire film we we break it up into three sections act one two and three and then by the time we get to the end of it we give our overall review or over review <laughs> our overall rating um and uh yeah that's pretty much it let's get into the recap that's a Nolan transition. Yeah. <laughs> Hans Zimmer yeah! transition. <laughs> um, so the movie starts off in 2067. I actually didn't even know that the movie starts off in this year. Did you know that it was 2067? No, nah, I didn't. I didn't either. I just assumed the not too distant future. Well, I mean, I didn't even know it was like the future future. <laughs> I just thought it was uh, like yeah. now. Now. Um, <laughs> and like, you can imagine you know, like that terrible job. Yeah. That like that had just started now. And like, it was, a yeah. little, I, I, I like, I think things like the Marines, like TARS gives you that sense sure. of, oh, okay. Like a little bit. Futuristic. Oh, of course. As the movie yeah. gets, gets like, as the movie progresses, absolutely. But in the beginning of the film, I, oh, yeah, I you could totally wasn't believe sure it's the present. Yeah, I wasn't like sure if it was the future. Town. It was like, where were we? And maybe this is another Nolanism where he doesn't want to give you all the cards yet. He just wants to show mm. you a few things, even mm. though he does a great job at explaining what the movie is about and how they're going to solve it um, in the first like 10, 15 minutes. Um, so the movie opens up with like crops and dust storms and um, and Cooper, who is a widowed, widowed engineer and former NASA pilot turned farmer lives with his father-in-law donald um and his teen son tom who's played by timothy chalamet and 10 year old daughter murph played by mackenzie from twilight <laughs> <laughs> um so this is someone thing, that ages quickly <laughs> yeah no way yeah they should have just like got so the that. vampire version of her yeah just the the creepy doll uh, <laughs> let's, get, let's continue <laughs> yeah so opens up with a dust storm patterns inexplicably appear in Murph's dust covered bedroom floor and Murph believes a ghost has created them um, but Cooper deduces the patterns were made by gravity variations and represent geographic coordinates and binary code um, th- this, this scene do you, do you kind of remember this part yeah, um, yeah, she's trying to explain. Absolutely. Yeah, she's trying to uh, explain. This like, ghost is talking to her. The ghost is talking. They're having breakfast at the table. Um, her brother is giving her shit. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> about how it's not a ghost and all that kind of stuff. Um, uh, which is which is great because it gives us an insight to their relationship being a little bit playful, but he's also like the typical older brother who likes to bully um, the the younger sister a little bit, mm-hmm. um, but also like the kind of. Um, how would you call it? I guess it shows the demeanor, but that Casey Affleck eventually carries on at, at an older age. You know, he's a little bit. Um, <clears throat> how would you describe this character? He's he's a little bit emo. Like he's he's a bit blue, <laughs> he's a bit blue collar as well. Like he he's taking on his father's role and continuing to be a farmer, and hmm. so he doesn't have time to care about math, binary code, the things that Murph's caring about, let because- alone ghosts. Yeah, so for like all intents and purposes and purposes, this world no longer has need for that. What you need to know is how to control a drone so you can so you yeah. can use it for the crops. 
but you don't need to think further than that, you know, like, yeah, the world needs farmers, not, um, needs realists. Yeah. Not not tech people. Not these coders. Not these coders. Down with coding. Back to an agrarian society. (laughs) (laughs) Maybe that's what Nolan's trying to get at. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Um, and this like binary code thing that he tries to explain because um, it sh- it shows the dynamic between um, the, the the dynamic relationship between him and his daughter, um, but it also shows how the granddad contributes to that family environment as well, trying to sort of keep a healthy family together because he says to him like you know go and explain to Murph like what that whole thing is hap- what that whole disturbance is in your room rather than it being a a ghost. But I love I love most uh, Murph's line. She says, um, "Isn't science just learning about the things that we don't know, or something like that?" You know. Yeah, yeah. And then and then Donald, the uh, granddad, says, oh, well, "She got you there," which is kind of true. <laughs> so, but then that's when he he sort of does the science explanation, but not in a kind of sciencey way, more of a sort of fatherly way, I guess. Um. <clears throat> so yeah, Cooper follows um, coordinates to a secret NASA facility headed by Professor John Brand, whom Cooper knows. Um, <clears throat> 48 years earlier, unknown beings placed a wormhole near Saturn, uh, opening a path to a distant galaxy with 12 potential hab- habita- habit- <laughs> habitable Oh gosh, this is going to be great. Eh? Habitable worlds uh, <laughs> located. I can near re- I can a... read through this if you want, bro. Ah, <laughs> oh, nice, nice. Habitable worlds located near a supermassive black hole named Gargantua. Um, so wait, but before we sort of get into more of that, um, how did you find this whole opening sequence, like leading up to the NASA discovery? Like this whole lead into, like, you know, they created like the foreground for the story already. And now they're just trying to sort of play family, uh, family on the farm kind of thing and trying to figure out certain things. Yeah. There's also the scene like where he's at the school with the school report. Um, and yeah. he gets, they get, they get worried about Murph and that. I really, mm-hmm. I like, like we said, like it, it was surprising how quickly we start moving on to space once yeah. the beginning, like, the amount, like you said before, the amount that they do in terms of setting up the stakes and the and the family dynamics and the world building so quickly is just crazy. And I mm. think uh, um, it isn't until you get to that point when they follow the coordinates to NASA that, that that's the call to adventure. You're really kind of unsure of how and why they would like, how is he going to go to space? Why would he go to space? What, like, where's this story going? And I think that's what um, what is brilliant about this film as well is that it just it it continues to throw curveballs. You don't expect uh, the way everything plays out to play out the way it does. You know. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yep. Yep. I, I mean, I, it, oh, sorry. You go. Sorry. Good. No, you go, go ahead. I was going to. Uh, I was going to say. I think the conversation between him and and Don with his father-in-law is really indicative of that, like that sense of there's desperation and there's emptiness and we need to protect our kids, but what the heck can we do? Like Mm -hmm. we're just going to, everyone's going to get sick and die. Like that's the way it's heading. Yeah. They established like 
um, the importance hierarchy, I think, also in this uh, first opening 10, 15 minutes. Um, and that hierarchy is really something that only adults can really make tough choices on, right? Because mm. can you imagine like a, a guy in his mid-20s trying to make this choice too when he's like trying to be in a relationship with someone else or whatever <laughs> at, yeah. at the age of mid-20s? You know, you wouldn't be able to make that mature decision and be like, wow, I'm going to sacrifice all of this, my relationship, my family, my town, my whatever, to go out and save the world potentially. But you're taking a huge risk at the same time. Um, it's so yeah. Oh, ab- yeah. Ab- it's it's um, it's 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 about it's about survival and that need for like recognizing your responsibilities. I found three quotes mm-hmm. from this this section of the movie, which I think are just awesome. All from Cooper. The first one he says, "We used to look up to the sky." We're going to try and do a McConaughey accent. We used, we used to look up to the sky, look to the sky, <laughs> and wonder. At our place in the stars. Now we just look down and worry about our place in the dirt. Uh, I think that's really that's a good line. That was when he was As in it, the truck, right? I think so. No? <laughs> you do. You just like watched this. So. Yeah, I know. I'm and, trying to remember that. The next line is: "Mankind was born on Earth. It was never meant to die here." Yeah. Was that from and Cooper as well? I thought it was from, that's from uh, Co- uh, Michael Caine's character. That's from Cooper as well. And the third. Well, it does sound like a Caine line doesn't but the this one really struck me on on my viewing of this which was he says once you're a parent you're the ghost of your children's future Ooh, which that's strong which exactly what happens (laughs) he literally becomes a ghost the ghost that was in his daughter's room what the heck and i think i yeah but that 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 as a line is really pervasive when you think he only becomes their memories once he goes out to space they don't see him for the rest of their lives Mm. they just know of his presence and that's the same of his dead wife too like she's there but only as a memory because none of them can see her anymore and um yeah it's wild it's it's such a good line so yeah it's um it's a great line it also foreshadows obviously what happens um when we get to the end and that's such a big surprise um (laughs) a big reveal which is a typical nolan thing is to have like a great reveal at the end some kind of kicker you know um Mm. because i was like shocked when (laughs) when it was all coming back to that scene in the beginning where she thought there was a poltergeist yeah in her bedroom in her bedroom Uh, yeah like well you're like when when you're at the other end of space you don't expect to then find yourself able to travel to your daughter's bedroom yeah (laughs) on earth not just yeah in the present but Many, many years ago. Like, it's crazy. It's just insane. Like, this is where I got, and, and I'm still a little bit lost on, and, and I'd love to get your thoughts on it, like, when we get to mm. the end of the uh, recap, is that whole kind of scene when he falls through Gargantua. Um, um, yep. Yeah, so I actually really love the scene that um, inside the school when he's having the interview with the teachers. Well, the principal and the teacher, they're talking about Murph's uh, performance. They're talking about um, Tom's performance as well and saying that Tom, his grades aren't really that good. They don't really um, get specific about the grades that he doesn't have to get up there. But um, it's probably also their cheeky way of saying we cannot do with more and more academics in this world. We need more farmers. And so we need your son who's kind of dumb <laughs> to, to uh, farming. 
to continue farming because that's what the world needs. The world doesn't need like phones and computers or whatever like that. Um, and then and then it gets on to the topic of Murph, how Murph is like, um, you know, kind of the too smart for everybody in the classroom kind of kid and it's mm-hmm. hard to control her. So then they decided to retcon a bunch of history and give her those books and then she's like, well, no, this is not the history and then starts telling everybody in their class that this is the real story and this is not the real story kind of thing. I thought that was pretty yeah. interesting. It's also an interesting choice for Nolan and Jonah, Nolan and Jonah, like Chris and Jonah, to put that into the script. I was kind of wondering what is the thought process around putting like uh, sort of controversial politics in this piece of dialogue. Mm-hmm. I thought that was pretty interesting. I think, I think that that is part of the dialogue as well as... <clears throat> Let's talk about like from political standpoint right now. It's that sense of what's important to humanity. Is it art? Is it creativity? Is it um, industry? Is it academia? Mm. Uh, and I think they they are trying to push into this idea that no 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 like yeah I like like I'm really keen to chat about the robots about Tars because I think they also give it a bit of an idea of what humanity what 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 does it mean to be human. And I think mm-hmm. they use those, he, like Nolan uses those two robots as a way to juxtapose humanity Human and non-humanity. And yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, which I, That's I think That's what I picked really up as well, up. actually. Yeah, because at many points I was like, man, they seem more human than the humans. <laughs> <laughs> and they really do. And it's very, that's a really cool kind of. Well, they have the hubris yeah. and, and they have like the sarcasm that humans have and, and you know, it's it's also a reminder of what humans can be i think for for this movie because because in this movie like human beings are not so that they don't have the nuances and sort of the comedic side of human beings or like the optimistic side of human beings which is fair enough because they're living in a world where they're practically kind of doomed and Mm. nobody talks about them being doomed anytime soon because it's too it's too doomy and gloomy, you know? So so it makes sense that human beings are not going to be their usual optimistic, happy-go-lucky type people. I love the fact that you have Taz and Case Case, presenting like what humans are, right? And and reminding us of what humans can be. So yeah, it's, it's a really cool piece of character to have in this film. And that's why like, that's why uh, Taz is like one of my favorite characters. I think he's pretty awesome. Funny man. And like, So so funny. Even, like even the bit when he goes and saves um, uh, Anne Hathaway's character Brand, like mm. just like that. There's that also that uh, like I, I love how they they animated or CGI these these two robots, uh, but how he picks her up and and that sense of care. Like you feel like this robot really cares. He doesn't. He's just doing what he's programmed yeah. to do. But you feel like he cares. Like it's you very feel cool. like he cares. But I think a lot and of that is like, just the, yeah. the, the tone of the voice, right? Like yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, it's got the intonations like a human being because it's obviously played by a human being. But yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, I agree with that. Like what you feel I like am. he cares. <laughs> yeah. 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 <laughs> oh, man. So, um, um, yeah. What, yeah well, what, what about... Well, sorry. I was going to say for you, what do you... what Like the... Do you feel like Nolan... Yeah, you did a lot in this, but do you feel like you would have liked to see other elements to what humanity is like leading into them going to space? Or, um, well, they they definitely like show their human cards, so to speak, when they're in space. You know, when they're faced with um, a little bit of tyranny, when they're faced with like physical challenges, and they're faced with uh, 
like destruction and also deceit between each other. I think the relationship mm-hmm. that the scientists had or the astronauts had were really great in the sense of portraying typical human relationships when you have high stakes that you're facing, right? Mm-hmm. Um, one of the biggest things that happens in this film is there a revelation, even for um, Brand, even for her character, um, where <laughs> it's like it's a big jump into like almost third act here. But I, I want to mention it anyway, is that um, there's a, a big turning point for the for the characters when they get revealed that her father didn't have the equation, or he did have the equation, but he didn't want to tell them the real reason. He didn't want to tell them like the truth behind all of this because he yeah. needs people to be risk takers. That was huge. Like for his daughter to, re- to, to be revealed that and her reaction to that was just priceless. I think Anne Hathaway is one of the best performances uh, performers in this movie. Yeah. And she does a great job yeah. at reacting to that her and feeling that her father just completely disowned her. Yeah. Um, Which so is really wonderfully like, juxtaposed between Murph and Coop's relationship. Too. Oh, yeah. 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 Like, I, yeah, I didn't exactly. think about it as much until you start to like plan to, oh, wait, Michael Caine's character is her father, yeah. the other Dr. Brand. And I think that that's insane because they've it's got insane. this united front for the whole film until that mm-hmm. point. And, yeah. and it, it's opposite for Murph, Murph and uh, Coop's because... Yep. She, for most of her life, doesn't want to talk to him, which is crazy. Like, mm. it is, that is so heavy. <laughs> it's, it's very, very heavy. I mean, can you imagine, like, having such a strong relationship with your father in the beginning? And I know you've got a strong relationship with your father in general. Uh, can you imagine having that right at the beginning and then you just lose that for the rest of your mm. life and you don't get it back until you're, like, 170 years old? <laughs> mm. <laughs> like that's <laughs> that's some insane <laughs> sacrifice but but it, again yeah. like they they didn't well cooper didn't realize like how long of a sacrifice that would have been and this is like down to human error this is down to like poor human judgment uh, maybe not human judgment but you know just like miscalculations or whatever and also just being deceitful um it, just in the name of sacrifice and in the name of like you know at what cost are we willing to go to get a sense of hope or get like a taste of hope. And this is where Matt Damon's character comes into play is that he, he also reminds us that, you know, humans can be nasty, but they'll do whatever they need to do to survive. Um, And he's, his, if, if this movie was allegorical, which I think it is, having 12 people being sent out to (laughs) save humanity. Oh my God. Yeah. But like this. The one that yeah, oh, the yeah, one that, yeah, yeah, the one that leads them is called Doctor Man. Like, it's not unexpected to think he might betray them. Like, they're, wow, they're, do you reckon that was on purpose? Oh, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. yeah. There's definitely like this element of Coop's as savior, uh, or Coop and Murph both as savior. And wow, um, I didn't that. these guys being the like twelve disciples that are sent out, and uh, that there's this hand of God, but. This is like the Nolan thing is that the, this is where I'm like, I feel like they didn't need to explain all of this, but like that the hand of God isn't the hand of God. It's the hand of future humanity. Humanity. I, I wisp, I, I spoil. Yeah. Again, we're very spoiling, but like that is, that's it. Like, you know, it's like we didn't do this led by something else, but we did this led by ourselves. Sure. Which, mm. yeah. Yeah crazy that's crazy yeah i mean so, so yeah that whole beginning is, is really cool the way it sets up the story and then it gets into space super quick you know uh, once um cooper 
takes a little bit of convincing by just a little bit of a push, just a little bit of a like uh, some math problem being solved or whatever it is, like quantum physics or uh, uh, physics stuff. I don't know. Um, yeah. All that kind of stuff, you know, helps convince him more and more that he should be the person leading this mission. Yeah. Um, and I think the whole setup to get to that point and then eventually um, jumping straight into the rocket, like Nolan wastes no time here. Um, mm-hmm. He spends a little bit of time with him saying goodbye to Cooper, which I think is great and so important for their relationship throughout the whole entire film because it sets up that like um, that doomed to fail kind of thing, that doomed to fail relationship. It's like, hey, I love you, and the audience knows how much I love you because we spent so much like um, time, so much time, so much quality time together. Like you know, our moments in the car, like the our little sort of joking back and forth. We discovered. Mm-hmm. Um, the secret NASA base together, or in in um, Murph's words, she said, it was, "If it wasn't for me, then you wouldn't have found it." Kind of thing. Um, so I think creating that really strong bond with them two, and then dropping that bond um, pretty much in a moment's like notice, <laughs> it's, it's heavy, and it's and it's like Nolan. He spends a little bit of time with that with them on their bed, but then he jumps straight into the car. And then while he's traveling to NASA, you can hear the countdown in the background, the rocket countdown. And then it goes yeah. straight to him in the rocket. So he doesn't waste any time. And I love that it transitions that way. I love that there wasn't like this big dramatic uh, countdown and lead up to like, you know, long goodbye. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, long yeah. goodbye and America standing by waving. Everybody's like watching on television, which <laughs> this is supposed to be a secret, right? And I was I was kind of wondering, like, if you guys are a secret base, how does no one see the rocket going up in the sky? I mean, no I guess... one's around. There's no one around. <laughs> Everyone's busy being farmers. There's no time Everyone... for TV or cameras. Like, yeah. just the radio, you know? Like, yeah, yeah man. Yeah, wild. so it's a very, very wild ride. I love how we just get straight into the rocket and then um, goes into orbit. Is that the right terminology? Yep. <laughs> Is that the right yep. use of the word? <laughs> goes into orbit. Into orbit. <laughs> Um, and, and this it's is like, like you know, shot around the moon or Mars or somewhere. And then they go straight oh, to yeah. Saturn. That's so right. Cool. Um, let's talk a little bit about this. So they get in the rocket. Um, we get our first glimpse of space. Now I want to kick this off just by saying our, our in- introduction into space is like nothing short of genius, nothing short of like such a creative and beautiful shot and a great, uh, just I, I immediately felt like I was engulfed into space. The way it shot, mm. it's like it it really taps into it being factual in its uh, approach as well. You know, with complete silence because uh, we know that in space there's no noise, there's no there's no nothing. Even when you're in space, you can't see stars, which is like a, a common mistake that a lot of films do. Is that when they're filming things in space, you can see the stars, whereas Nolan wanted to give you this this appeal that it's the same how normal astronauts would see space. There's, it's just black. It's not. You don't see stars. And so I love how there's like just dead silence, but it's like it's also quite deafening, the silence itself. It's because we're not used to that kind of silence. Mm. <laughs> um, mm. Yeah, and then just getting like engulfed into the mass of space was just unreal. And then seeing Earth fade away slower and slower as they're like sort of turning and turning onto the – um, on the spaceship, which I already forgot the name of it. What's it called? The the name of uh, their spaceship. 
the name of the spaceship? Ooh, I can't remember. I don't know what it's called. <laughs> endurance? Endurance. Yeah, yeah. When they go into the endurance and it's kind of spinning. Um, why is it spinning, by the way? Do, do they ever explain that? Yeah, yeah, so that uh, they can walk. So they, they have gravity. Ah, oh, so they have yeah. gravity. That's why it's spinning. Good point. Has to spin so they have gravity. <laughs> I knew that. I paid attention in science. <laughs> so good. Yeah, what did you think about this whole like opening into space, getting oh, into amazing. endurance? It's, it's it's immense, and I I um I think I already said it in this. Like, there's no no movie that portrays space as such an expanse, which is phenomenal. Yeah, I think that just that sense of expanse of the fragility of life and how how fragile they are being out there in this ludicrously large place where there's nothing else and no one else. As far as they know, there's something out there, but they don't know what it is. And like to have to go through a wormhole to leave their solar system to go to another part of the universe to find life, like that's how big it is. And it's years, not months or days to travel. Like, yeah, immense. Um, yeah. I love it. I think it's fantastic. Yeah, it's actually quite insane when they're I, I mean I love like the first things that they say to each other they sort of establish the very light rules in the space yeah <laughs> they're sitting in the cockpit like um uh what is oh he's talking to Tars I think that's the first time we meet Tars right oh yeah. no we no, we, we meet Tars like we were met Tars when they're flying like when they're head taking off well no we met Tars first in um NASA Oh really? Was, okay. it, was that Tars or someone else? It was one of the robots? One of the robots. Yeah, <laughs> but I love how like we get um, we get to know Tars a little bit more about um, Cooper asking him questions. You know, so what is your what is your like honesty policy or something like that? Is this an honesty 90%, policy? Or, uh, yeah, what's 90%. your honesty setting? It's like honesty why not a hundred? And he's, he's <laughs> like, I find ninety percent. Uh, better absolute truth is dangerous or something like that. <laughs> it's a very philosophical statement as well. I, I find it. I saw the quote just before. Um, but but there's also, and there's also the humor settings as well. That are yeah, the human settings. A uh, humor settings is like 60% or something. 65. Let's dial it down to 65. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> oh, and then I love how they come back to that same uh, funny dialogue between the two of yeah. them at the end as well when he has time. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> when he's fixing so, times. here we go all right so the uh when he's fixing him is like settings general settings security settings honesty new setting 95 percent confirmed additional settings humor 75 percent confirmed <laughs> self-destruct sequence in t minus 10 9 let's make like that 60 60 percent it's like 60 percent confirmed knock knock <laughs> we can make and then it the other one five isn't he yeah, yeah, you want you want fifty five, and his other one is, "Hey Tars, what's your honesty parameter?" Ninety percent, honest, ninety percent. Yeah, and he says, "Absolute honesty isn't always the most diplomatic nor the safest form of communication with emotional beings." <laughs> oh, <laughs> okay, ninety wow. percent it is. <laughs> yeah, and he's 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 also directing that to uh, Brad, Brand, Brand. Yeah, yeah. Um, so good. really clever piece of dollar between the three of them. Like it's it's kind of between two people. Like it's kind of between Tars and and, and Cooper, Cooper yeah. but then it's also a part of um, Brand as well because Brand's like trying to establish herself in this thing. Yeah, um, really, really clever piece of dialogue. It's 
kind of like space <laughs> talk. Eh? Maybe that's how they always speak in NASA. <laughs> well, it's and I think that's it. Like, there's that robotic element to all of these scientists on this spaceship, where they're all just there with their job to do, but he's there with this human element. Like, mm. Coops is there with this human element. He's like the X factor, and so he's also there, kind of breaking down their their barriers between just doing their job and being humans, um, which is yeah. like big a big difference between him and Dr. Man as well. So, mm. yeah. Yeah. So let's get into this part here. Um, uh, after traversing the wormhole, the crew reaches Miller's planet um, due to gra- gra- gar- gar- Gargantua. What is Gargant- gra- Gargantua? Gargantua. So Gargantua is the... Uh, um, no, like, like, yeah, no, no, no. But oh, what's, the, what's, what's that it named word? after? Gargantua. I've heard I it before. Yeah, I think it's a Latin word for giant. Right? Well, let's find out. Oh, that'll make sense. Yeah, due to Gargantua's proximity, time is severely delayed. Every hour on the planet equals seven Earth years. Now, but also in this part, it's not, the calculations weren't precise, right? Is that the way I was reading this scene? Because when they lose time, just because they their spaceships kind of get dilapidated and it gets destroyed by the big gigantic wave and they're losing a little bit of time to try and recover, when they get back, they've actually lost 23 years. So was that due to them not calculating the time correctly? So they calculated to be down there for an hour, I think it was. Was that correct? Yeah, an hour. They but lose, then they they, they lost lose like, they lose time because they get waterlogged, so they have to wait. Yeah, so I'm actually unsure on how long they were there now. I think they end up being there for th- like over three hours. Well, yeah, well, so a, an hour is seven Earth years. They're there for twenty three years, so they end up being there for just over three hours by because of the water getting logged yeah but i i think she miscalculated because when she got back she was trying to run the calculations in her head and she's like i thought i thought i got it right i thought i got it right she said something along those lines and i was kind of like huh i'm confused now because because i already uh, i already established like the rules right which is mm-hmm. yeah you lose um seven years when you're down there for one hour they established that but then when they get back and then they realize it's 23 years and something something months um she's she's kind of beating herself over the head with it because she's like, I thought I actually calculated that right. So yeah, I was kind of I, like confused. I want, I, Oh, I might need to rewatch the scene. Cause I, I, I wasn't as confused about that. I was fairly sure she was just more upset about them losing. Cause at, on that planet, when she's oh. trying to get the, the black box, they lose, um, yeah. uh, the other, the other, uh, Dr. Doyle. 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 Yeah. Yep. They lose when he Doyle. tries to get into the shuttle, like he just freaking heck, and he just gets wiped Pretty out, insane. and then they get waterlogged, so they're stuck mm. in. And and I just remembered that she's kicking herself, and and like and Coops gives it to her. He's like, "It's on you." Like Doyle's on, on you. you. Like, yeah, he's dead because of you. Like you didn't come yeah. back when we told you to, because mm-hmm. you wanted to get that box, which. You know, like makes sense. You've traveled halfway around the galaxy, but it's cost someone their life, and it's also mm. cost us twenty three years, and it's cost the sanity of or almost the sanity of Romley as well. Oh, yeah. And poor Romley, man. Like, I think there's that point where he says, "In it is like after a while, I just like stop thinking. Maybe I'll just go to sleep forever." Like, 
Oh man, yeah, hectic, I mean, hectic Can you stuff, imagine man. that? The dude was by himself for 23 years. Yeah, and he does, and that's right, he finishes the calculations and that's when he reveals that there was no chance. Yep. yep. I mean, he would have just gave, given up, like what he says, like he, he gave up. Once at he figures point. out, like, well, I figured it out and I did the calculations and then mm. I was depressed. Um, yeah. Crazy. Surprised he didn't kill himself. Like, yeah, or leave. <laughs> just be alone for twenty three years in a confined yeah. space, man. That's that's some like that's some like you know big bro dedicated like best friend stuff right there. You know, he's yeah. he's raising the standards on best friend material. <laughs> he does have that. He has his little hibernation pod, so I feel like that that helps. Like he sleeps. He like probably half yeah. that time or something. But, maybe, uh, maybe. man, that like that. I think this this planet. Miller's planet really gives that wild sense of the desperation yet again, like desert and mm. isolation. But I, I loved it. I thought it was such a, like, I think they used drops of water or tick ticking clock. To yep. re- and every, every, every second, every second is, was like, it's a reminder that the time is ticking. This is, this is like, like something day. that I pick up all the time with Nolan films. You can, you can always tell that he has a strong piece of uh, direction and the music when he's using the music as a ticking time bomb. He does the mm. same in Dunkirk, which you haven't seen. Oh, yet. Does, cool. I haven't seen it yet. Yeah. yeah. So, oh, cool. okay, looking okay, forward okay, to it. Yeah. 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 yeah he, he does. He does something similar in, in Dunkirk because it's like yeah. time is on the clock. Right. And obviously um, he does that in inception with the dreamscapes and the different exactly. levels. Yeah, yeah. The different levels. Yeah. And, and I love this, um, that he brings that back in, in this, in the same way that he does in those previous movies and, and also Dunkirk um, mm. with the, the drops, yeah, you're right. Like it's it's so evident. Like it's something that I always look out for. And then when you hear it, you're like, oh yeah, this is like and we're on the clock that, right now. This is like let's not and and like you could just like McConaughey does some brilliant like just low key cash acting when he's like mm. let's move it on. Like guys, what the fuck? Like yeah, yeah let's yeah, go, yeah. let's go. Like it's so he's really good at like changing gears in this character. Yeah. He's yeah. really good at just like pushing urgency when it needs to be urgent. He's yep. really good at like asserting himself when it's when it's right, and he's also really good at being chill. Like, yeah. Oh man, we've got a lot to talk about with uh, Matthew McConaughey's character. Man, he's such an awesome performer in this. Um, so yeah, you know, we we spend a little bit of time in in Miller, Planet Miller, yeah. um, and then we get off of Planet Miller. We meet reach uh, old man. 23 years without friends. Romley. <laughs> um, and then uh, the crew decides to travel to man's planet. Well, oh, yeah, but before, the, before the they planet. do, because I think this was my favorite scene rewatching this movie. Once oh, yeah. they get back onto the ship, Cooper and Bran watch all of the videos. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. We should have. Oh, my gosh. I, can, I think I passed over. Yeah, I can't skip that because I, uh, I think on this watch I did cry in as he watches Tom's life and Murph's, and Murph's absence. Life, yeah. yeah. Murph's absence, which doesn't, yeah. she doesn't reveal herself until like the very end when he's just about to turn it off. And he's um, just blubbing that. Like, that's a great coop moment. You're like, Oh, sh-. Like, that's why I felt like I was like, like I said, like I felt much more like in Coop's shoes as like, as a dad, I'm not a dad, mm-hmm. but <laughs> I think for when I am a dad, like that just sense of like, Oh my gosh, like, yeah. What have, what what have, have I, I done? Like, of? what have I sacrificed? Yeah. Um, yeah. What have yeah. I like? Why did I make this decision? And, like, I, I love like that we we get the the father um, and Cooper come out again. Like, as soon as they 
they see uh, Romilly, who explains that it's been 23 years. He doesn't even hesitate. He doesn't even stop to say hi, give him a hug. He goes straight past him. Yeah. Right? yeah. He goes straight past him because the only thing on his mind is like he's lost his kids yeah. for 23 years. And to him, it was only like three hours. <laughs> Crazy. Oh my god! Can you imagine what what kind of feeling? Like, put yourself yeah. in his shoes for a second. How would yeah. you? I mean, it's it's quite hard to imagine or comprehend how you would react in that moment. Well, it's about like cost and like. Well, we all have the like we all have these moments. Like, we've all just lost two years of our lives to a pandemic and lockdown, right? And we can mm. we can feel the cost of that. I think someone said it. Uh, <laughs> my partner Hannah said it where we were talking about, you know, you go back out, you go back out to drink or to party or to whatever. And for us now, it's like, well, like when we went to this pandemic, I was like 28 and I was like, I feel like I had a bit of energy then, but now I'm 30. I'm like, you might be thinking like a 28 year old, but your body's a 30 year old's body. And I, I want to, <laughs> yeah, you just, you just can't keep up with the young kids anymore. Mm. <laughs> Right, so next yeah, time we so go on young, a, like space 30. expedition, like and, and we both lose twenty three years, I'll just remember what you said. It was it's only just kind of like the pandemic, you, know? you lose like a couple of years and couple years come back. <laughs> <laughs> nice. But um, but but it, but but also let's think about like you think about that for relationships and for the people that you had long friendships with or relationships over years, and then you don't see them for a decade. Mm. It's hard to make that time back up, you know. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, so when he sees Tom grow up, you know, he goes from Timothy Chalamet to Casey Affleck, yeah. which I should say the casting in this movie is awesome. Yeah, it's really it is good. so awesome. It's probably like the most accurate you've seen from like a really young person to an old person. Like yeah. awesome, yeah. awesome. Like I, I never thought that Timothy Chalamet and Switch. Casey Affleck would be Affleck able to like yeah, we'll be able to like sort of mirror each other like closely, you know. Yeah, yeah. Um, and even and even like Murph, you know, uh, going from McKenzie mm-hmm. to Jessica Chastain. Oh, yeah, awesome, yeah. very good. <laughs> yeah, it's, and then yeah. just so just seeing the emotion that he goes through, just like I don't know how this guy does it. Man. Like I don't, I don't know how he was able to portray that because that's some serious like diving into your emotions to cry like that. Yeah. Like, like that's, that's as realistic as you could get with crying on screen. Right? Maybe. Yeah, I, I wonder if he like just encapsulated what Cooper, like for Matt. Well, he would have. Just, he would have. Like, yeah. I'm, I'm just, I'm just like the, I'm just losing my shit. Cause I've just lost my kids. And I think hmm. Tom's story is so tragic, man. Like his, his son, did, does he name his son Cooper as well? Yeah. Yeah. His son Cooper gets the cough and his son passes away. Mm. And there's a point where I think he says, it's like, you, you're no longer here. You're no longer, I, I need to let you go. Mm. And my wife yep. says so too. Like, I, I just can't, yep. can't continue doing this. Mm. Um, that's wild, man. I mean, you can't blame him as well, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah for sure. He's a, he's, his eyes are fixated on the now. How can we solve things now? Not... Mm. How can he's we solve farmer. things? Yeah, he's a farmer, right? Yeah. Blue collar farmer guy. He's a hardworking dude, and he just wants to provide for the now. He doesn't look into the future, and that's why it's such a great contrast between him and his sister. His sister's like the big brains of the family, 
and is wanting to follow in the same footsteps as her father. So I love how the kids are representations of what the father is is um, good at and also what he's focused on because he's equally a farmer and also a scientist. Um, so I think that's pretty cool. For sure. Yeah, that whole scene, like, it broke my heart. Like, I cried mm. so much throughout this movie. I, I actually oh. can't. <laughs> this was insane the <laughs> amount of times I cried. I was like, I can't watch this. <laughs> this is so, so heavy, hey. Because it, it's, it sends that message. It sends that message yeah. of, like, it's hope. It's hopeless. It sends mm. that message of hopelessness. And when you, you know, you, you're always, like, very connected to the people that are around you. You're always very connected to the, your close ones. And mm. Nolan does a great job at just portraying what the loss would feel like if you were in this situation, it's like you mm-hmm. can connect with it. You can sympathize. You can empathize. It's it's kind of crazy. So that's what I was like losing my shit. I was like, oh my gosh, I might just fast forward this. <laughs> <laughs> no, feel, feel, feel your feelings, bro. Feel, feel, your feel feelings. my feels, man. In my feelings. <laughs> um, um, so yeah, so, so the crew travels to Man's Planet um, where they revive him from cryostasis. That's what it's called. That's it. Cryostasis. Meanwhile, I love how yeah. they do it in the water. They have their little water water tank. And yep. it's like the body just floats in that. It's very clever. That's like, it gives me a sense of claustrophobia that when I yeah, saw yeah. that, I was like, oh, I don't know if I want to be in there for like yeah, three years or whatever it is. <laughs> don't become an astronaut because I think their whole life is just not made for the claustrophobics. <laughs> yeah, it's true. Like I'm super claustrophobic, but I do want to be an astronaut though. Everyone does. Yeah. I'm actually a movie I'm excited to review one day when it comes out, which shouldn't be too far away, is Buzz Lightyear. That's gonna be sick. Buzz Lightyear. Yeah. Oh, if you guys haven't yes. heard, they're doing they're doing a not live action, but a serious Buzz Lightyear movie, which is gonna be sick. Yeah. yeah. I think I it's saw cool. something around it from Disney. Yeah. <clears throat> oh, Disney. Anyways, uh <laughs> Doctor Man's Planet. Yeah, Doctor Man's Planet, we get um Oh, we, we we sort of go back to Earth for a little bit, and we see Murph, who is now a NASA scientist, has transmitted a message announcing John Brand's death. Um, she also claims Cooper and Brand knew that Plan A, which required unattainable data from within a black hole, was never viable, dooming those left on Earth. Um, <clears throat> so, this is like a big piece of the puzzle. But before we get to that, you know, we we get on to um, planet Man, aka uh, Iceland. <laughs> Iceland. <laughs> yeah, they shot this in Iceland, by the way. Ah, uh, sick. So yeah. cool. Uh, I mean, Iceland practically looks like a different planet, man. That, yeah. that place is unreal. So, this is the jacket cover for the DVD I have of it. Interstellar has it is the yeah. ice planet. So cool. That's right. It's a very very cool planet. Um, yeah. So they they shot the externals of all of this in Iceland, and then the rest of it's green screen, obviously. Um, and then they revive um, Dr. Man, who reveals to be Matt Damon from Cryostasis. And he's been in Cryostasis for 40, how long is it? 40-something years? So I think it was. Oh, no, it was that, 48 they years. They had the, well, they like, had the black hole appear, but then I don't think they sent... Did they, I don't think they sent all of those volunteers 48 years ago because, like, Edmonds, Dr. Edmonds. Oh, sure, sure. Hathaway, yeah, like yeah. in love. I think it's only 10 years that yeah. he'd been sent ahead of, ten, so like, ahead of them. Earth like 10 years. 10 yeah. Earth years before yeah, yeah. they left. Yeah. But 48 years earlier, like from the wormhole, I think it was. Yeah. 
Yeah, 38 like years yeah. earlier after the wormhole. Yeah. So once they knew the wormhole was there, 38 mm. years of development to send the first 12 through, three yeah. of them ping, ping back through the wormhole saying they yep. found something. Which so, landed in, um, uh, well, which, well, actually the first ping was the first planet, right? I think so, yeah. Yeah. Yep. And they get two more and then that's, yeah. And the, Yeah, so one of the pings was Miller's planet. Yep. Um, so this is the second one. Second one. Um, I love how Matt Damon wakes up and he sees a human being and then he just cries on his shoulder. Oh, man, yeah, it's hectic. Oh, that's... that's <laughs> yeah. You think Romley was bad. It's like Damon's character is like, I've just never thought I'd see another human being ever again. I know. Um, yeah, that's that's um, wild. But it's pretty shocking. And there's so many of these moments in this movie, like mm. so many shocking moments where you're like, oh, I just cannot, my mind, my brain cannot travel that far to comprehend what these human beings are going through. And it's just, yeah. it's, it's just some of the best deliveries for performances right? mm. to really give us that, that sense, you know, it doesn't mm. feel like it's on earth. It doesn't feel like it's, it's something that we are familiar with. It does feel like they're in a different planet. Um, yeah. So he, he wakes up and then they sort of have their little debrief, I suppose, uh, of their previous plan, uh, previous mission. And then, um, uh, Tom, no, not Tom, sorry, uh, Murph does the announcement or, or sends a message to um, uh, Brand. To the and, ship, yeah. Yeah, to the ship, to Brand uh, specifically, and then uh, reveals that this whole thing was a bit of a sham and that we left Earth to be in the rubble, I, I guess, and you guys were going to be the hope for humanity. Yeah. And so her... So, yeah, oh, sorry. So to clarify for our viewers... That the plan A was to find the habitable planet, ping back, and humanity can start working on how they're going to get to plan A. Mm-hmm. And Brand, Dr. Brand Senior, Michael Caine's character, was working on developing a spaceship that could carry all of humanity. That's but right. But none of that was actually true, and Murph had figured it out. Mm-hmm. And he had revealed it. Well, at his death. yeah. Yeah. Well,. Wait, when did she figure it out? I think she confronts she? she confronts Michael Caine's character about it when he dies. I think I think um no, I, I think he he's the one that just tells her the tells truth. Tells her that's it, yeah. yeah. And, and so she's she like, then you don't have to apologize. To yeah, she says you don't have to apologize, there's nothing to apologize for. And then he says, No, 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 I lied, I lied to you and I lied to your father. Um Wild. And then she's like, Wait, like my we're not supposed to like leave here or something like that. Um, even, and my dad doesn't know anything about this. And so it's, it's such a conflicting moment of her because she's trying to like seconds ago, she was um, feeling for Michael Caine's character, like dying. Yeah. But then like, because he becomes a surrogate father in many ways, yeah. doesn't he? So it's yeah, true, true. <laughs> becomes a surrogate father, but also becomes like a, a strong mentor for mm. her and her um, her journey to becoming like one of the brightest uh, minds on earth. Mm. Um, and so she's like, she has this like kind of inner conflict and Jessica J- Chastain does a great job at portraying it on her face. She's like, she goes from like being really sorry and kind of like hurtful that he's about to die, but then slowly becoming super mad. <laughs> yeah. <for laughs> like, sure. Oh my God, what have you done to us? And then, and then it starts her like her mission to, save the planet and mm. she starts to you know realize that 
I guess her her purpose is is much greater than what it was prior to like discovering that. Yeah. Um. Yeah. So, <clears throat> and then we also like get a bit of a background with Matt Damon's character and what he's willing to do um, in order to save humanity more than anything. Um, and so, like their their fight, <laughs> their scuffle on this planet, it's kind of hilarious. Oh like gosh. I didn't actually see it coming. Like it was kind of a bit of surprise. Um, yeah, I can't it's like, the what first he, thing he does. He knocks off his microphone and transmitter, so he can't communicate oh, yeah. with him. That's and right. then he pulls out his, and he pulls out his air, and he hits him, and they just start tussling, and then he breaks his helmet. So he's like breaks his helmet, losing yeah. air. Oh man, that thing's so hectic. Uh, but Tar- yeah. Tars flies over and rescues him in time, doesn't he? No, um, it's actually Murph. Murph flies oh, over. Murph. Not Murph. Flies over and uh, you mean Brand? Oh, sorry, Brand. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Brand flies over to rescue him because he manages to get his uh his, his uh, comms back, back on. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but and he's holding his like the way he's holding his helmet and he's like losing oh, his air. He's like rolling and around. It's the just ground. like just so distressing. It's like, so chaotic and all. Like, like, it's hard enough being trapped on a planet, let alone like losing breath on a trapped planet. But man's like intent, like to to falsify his data to say that the planet isn't habitable when in fact it isn't, is like. I mean, it's so like, ruthless. Dude, when you, when you hey. show up, you're like, you you should look at this planet and be like, are you crazy, no, man? Not, Do you think we're gonna we're, believe you? Like that we're gonna be habitable <laughs> on this planet, man? This is like people can barely live in Iceland, man. You think people? Yeah. Gonna live here? <laughs> Humanity has to do what a humanity has to do. But his um his sabotage becomes so ruthless. Like you feel his desperation, but then you start to see his ruthlessness because he he blows up Romley back yeah. at the base, destroys yeah. the base. Yeah, and he it. and he thinks he thinks he can get away with it. He do, he doesn't realize that like uh, uh, Brand is already onto this. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like, it's chaos, man. Like, it's so crazy. But it's very like it, it is lucky. It's very good, uh, like storytelling. I guess you could say where it's convenient, it's good but like not overly mm. convenient. Like that, suddenly everything's energy again, and that's well, what this I mean, movie I, does very well. Is that like it? Like it ebbs and flows between slow moments and chaotic moments. You know? Yeah, I wasn't expecting it to take this kind of left turn, though. I oh, just man, thought no. that there was going to be a little bit of deceit along the way. Maybe they they all get on. Um, they all get onto the endurance, and then they maybe have a scuffle in endurance. I didn't realize like it was going to be, hey, I'm just going to take you out. I'm going to take you out by the legs and like push you down the hill and and smash it. And, ta- and I'm taking your ship, and I'm getting. <laughs> and I'm back taking home. your ship. Well, not just taking uh, your ship, but I'm also going to take the endurance and like, oh my like, gosh. like this dude's relentless. Yeah. Like, and even though Ooh. he he realizes his plan like falls through a little bit. He he's still adamant to say to them, "I'm gonna be the captain of the endurance," um, you know, whether you like it or not, or whatever. But he's gonna be the captain of endurance, and then he just kind of messes up. Which I I can't remember exactly how he messed it up because isn't huh. Brand warning him, warning him to like not force the dock or some shit like that? I can't remember. Yeah, so he he docks, but he doesn't dock cleanly, and yeah, when. McConaughey does it. He can do it manually, but still with the help of like uh, Case and Tars. Case and Tars. But but Matt Damon's character is just a bit like overly desperate. And when they do 
get him on the intercoms to say, you're not safely docked. He doesn't mm. care. And he kind of doesn't want to believe them. I was like, no, it's fine. It's fine. It's fine. Of course, yeah. That scene where he like oh. is so, is, is both frustrating and like just so scary. You're like, this oh, isn't man. just your only hope. This is their only hope too. And so yeah. like, then it heads into like the most hectic scene, which is like super Kubrick-esque. The docking yep. scene is insane, man. The docking scene is awesome. So cool. Again, it brings that kind of silent um, character to space that yep. is so evident throughout this whole movie. That silent character is like, in, it's it's just, uh, it's, it's gripping. And, and yep. when the explosion happens, you don't hear the explosion. No. You just see it happening because obviously it's like silent in space. And I just love that choice to go with that. It's yep. um freaking amazing. I like the vacuum, oh! the vacuum, like the, the vacuum. Just, yeah, man, everything's just exploding, and then like I love how it's just kind of scattered out, and it's heading towards um, Brandon Cooper, and the kind of, and then Cooper sort of changes gears, and he's like, he, he becomes like a man on the mission again, like okay. urgency, urgency, and he's like, I need to do this, I need to do this, I need to dock, and then Taz is like saying, No, you cannot dock. It's impossible. Um, does he even give like a percentage of how impossible it is or something? I think he I think says like ninety something, something like that, where it's like you need to be moving at this speed, blah 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 blah, and yeah. it's crazy. And I and love he's, it. He's like, she's like, no, we can do it. Match the speed, yeah. match the velocity. Start spinning at this rate. We're gonna yeah. line li- and and like line it up. Let's go. And it's so cool. Like it's so oh, well filmed. Yeah. It feels like they're in space, and that's that's it. It's it it suspends disbelief perfectly. This whole mm-hmm. scene still stands up seven years later, eight years yeah. later. Crazy. Oh, it, it looks like a documentary. Looks like yeah, a, it, it really like does. A, yeah, like a planet documentary or something. Um, yeah, really insane. I love the line. Like, there's so many great lines in this, but I love the line that he uses to respond to Tars because Tars says it's it's impossible, and then he's he's he responds by saying it's necessary. Um, mm. And I'm always oh, here we are. Looking... I've got the line. Endurance rotation is 67, 68 RPM. Case, get ready to match Aspen with the retro flushes. It's not possible. No, it's necessary. Whoa. It's not necessary. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> And, like, Nolan is just so smart at doing these uh, these lines. He's so smart at scripting because mm. um, even though he might be writing himself into a trap, he always finds a really good way out um, mm. with a clever line, a line that's, like, got a little bit of hope, you know, a little bit of uh, <laughs> optimism, you know, a little bit of like, I don't know. It's like a heroic statement, you know. It's like one of those classic one-liners that like Captain America would say or something. Yeah. <laughs> Just before that, into battle. There's a Tars line. It's like, everybody good? Plenty of slaves for my robot colony. <laughs> <laughs> that, the humor of the robots that, is so good. That's his, uh, what is it, 70% humor? 70% humor, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he is, he is, he is really good. Um, let, let's, before we kind of move on and we'll sort of get into, um, Act 3 event, uh, just after this, um, let's talk a bit about the characters. Let's talk about, like, some of your favorite characters in this movie. Like, maybe start from your least favorite character to your favorite character. For sure. Uh, look, it's really interesting. I think, going through this film, it's not so much about favorite or least favorite as much as it's about the characters that I find connection with. And I think Mm. one of the characters that is still a bit of an enigma for me is Bran's character because she's unlike many, um, like unlike Cooper, unlike Murph, 
she's driven, but she's kind of driven with a sense of uh, it's what she's supposed to do. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's also mixed with a little bit of like uh, her, her love for Edmonds, uh, which is the third the of the, company? of the, yeah, yeah. <laughs> she's the um, she's she's in love with the third of the three apparent survivors of these um, three planets, and so the whole movie you do feel this sense of her distance, both to Cooper, but even to the mission and its ultimate objective. She kind of cares more for finding Edmonds than anything else, and mm. um, I really like that. I really like that as a subplot, but I find um, and it, like it isn't resolved in the end. She ends up. Mm. at the end of this film somewhere else and, which is mm. wild like it, it's that's that that is a good thing I, I find that's nice that doesn't get resolved but uh yeah I, I i think her character has this really interesting place and i think if we're talking about this movie as representative of humanity i like that she represents in some way uh certain naivety and also an element of um not seeing is not out of sight, out of mind. Maybe that's the word for it. Out of sight, out mm. of mind. Where she um, yep. she wants to continue to have the blinkers on or the blindfold over her. Whereas mm. Cooper's more like, no, I want to investigate. I want to discover what the truth is. Yep. Um, and I, I think I think I yeah I like the nuance of her character in that. Uh, and on the flip side, yeah, like I said, love Cooper's character. He's just just yeah, like if like between him. And Murph, that relationship as a whole is just such a, I don't know, I don't, I don't think I can think of many other movies which have such a complex, nuanced mm. relationship play out. No. Yeah. Yeah. Good choices. Mm. For yeah. me, yeah. for it's, me, I think my, <laughs> it's, yeah, I think it's a little harsh to say least favorite character because then it, it sort of implies that they were the worst almost right <laughs> and yeah. and this is by by all means not to say that they were the worst but like the least favorite character for me and maybe the least present is probably um hmm i'm changing my mind now <laughs> i, I want to say i want to say romilly like i, I want to say mm-hmm. romilly is like one of my least favorite because um he's definitely important but I felt like he probably could have, he probably would have been better for his character to appear more and contribute a little bit more than just being the guy that like had 23 years over him. Um, Because he he kind of dies like undeservedly, you know? Yeah. Absolutely. The poor guy doesn't get. Was was, uh, like earned. I don't think. (laughs) It's, uh, it's a bit of a Nolan uh, poor writing of people of color. (laughs) thing which he tries to course correct in tenet but yeah he does a good thing in writing some strong female characters and in this movie he then fails to follow that up with his uh people of color (laughs) okay okay Uh, injecting some politics in there i see what you're doing yeah i do that i do that (laughs) adam it is at in peace no no you can you can can do that one (laughs) uh if you want you can add that guy i don't mind um, but my favorite character is, I guess, is clearly Cooper. I mean, he he mm. does a lot of heavy lifting in this, especially the emotional side of it. But he also presents really good leadership skills and really good mm. father skills. 
Um, so it's 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 kind of hard to not be the best character <laughs> mm. in the entire movie. Um, yeah, just a good classic lead. I think he done great. Yeah. Um, all the other characters are cool. I mean, I do love Taz. Taz is probably like my second favorite character. <laughs> Taz, Taz and Case are both so fantastic. That's and just again, so good. Their role, their role in the story, really elevates again. Just yeah, it, every I, maybe this is it. Like Nolan's very focused as a director, and everything has a purpose. And and even these robots have a really well targeted element of helping to continue to ask the question, what does it mean to be human? What does it mean to, to exist? Why do we need to survive? What does survival look like? And mm-hmm. um, yeah, I, yeah, it's brilliant, 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 brilliant. <laughs> it's brilliant. Oh, I mean, I guess I could say the very old lady that plays a very, very old um, Murph. Uh, Murph. <laughs> we, don't, we don't see a lot of her, but that's a little unfair. This is actually a really cool part, though, is that um, it's, a, again, another Nolan thing where he revisits the beginning right at the end, you know, yeah. with all the interviews and stuff. It's all the older yeah. people that are living in the future. And you don't know that at the beginning of the film. Yeah, That's it's true. They're just cool. talking about like... They're the, just talking. Like back in the day. <laughs> back in the day. Well, And you, you think yeah. that they're referring to back in the day as opposed to them... Uh, no, not as opposed, but back in the day as in they are in the present. But you don't realize <laughs> they're actually in the future. And they're yeah. talking about back in the day. That's kind of... It's such a that's, trippy bone. That's very cool. It, um, also playing through, like, end, end of the film, but, like, another game of baseball, but this time they're not worried about dust storms. They're just worried about breaking someone's window. <laughs> that's very cool. That's, oh, man, that's I want to live in that planet, man. That planet looks yeah. awesome. Well, that's not the planet. That's the ship. Oh, that's a ship. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> they're yeah, on their way. They're on their way. They're not. Yeah, exactly. They're not there yet. That's right. So cool. Uh, I st- I'd rather live in that ship, though. <laughs> that ship's sick, yeah. It's kind of like remind, uh, that Mad Wally vibes, actually. We should review Wally after this. I've never seen Wally. Whoa! Oh, yeah. River. Yeah, yeah. Do yourself a favor, man. That. That would, yeah. Watch Wally. Well, Wally's, Wally's basically interstellar. Uh, yeah. Okay. Okay. But from Taz's perspective. Well, from Taz's perspective, yeah. Uh, yeah, he kind of definitely want to watch it. Man, so good. <laughs> um, okay, so so that all happens. Final. You know, they, yeah, they, they 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 go through all the the drama of like trying to go through the different planets, get, get getting rid of the kind of small villain, which is Matt Damon himself. Um, and then we get to them uh, eventually uh, parting with each other, and when they get to Gargantua again, you know, they yeah. get back onto the to the endurance, I want to call the endurance enterprise, but it's not Star Trek. <laughs> <laughs> they get onto the endurance and um, they're kind of doing their thing, calculating all their uh, equations to what are the uh, what are the risks and the possibilities of getting into Gargantua and where where could we possibly go? And then this is where they have to sort of part ways from each other as well, um, which yeah. Murph doesn't even no not Murph Brand doesn't know, um, and it's kind of thrusted at her. Um, in the last minute, which I think is another good choice for Nolan and keeping up the pace and keeping up the urgency, not dwelling too much on every single emotional beat, but, yeah. you know, switching into fourth gear when it's right and then pulling it back into first gear when it's right as well. So yeah. I love how there's that, that moment of departure and it's it's sad, like it's, it's quite dramatic and I'm sad mm-hmm. for it, but then 
um, I'm also kind of like okay with it <laughs> that eventually yeah. she's going to have to do her own thing. Yeah. It's, um, I, I think, so yeah, so in this, in this scene as well, you have Brand continuing on the journey to the third planet, to Edmund's mm-hmm. planet. But Cooper, Cooper's doing the math and thinking, well, we both can't get there. The ship's not in the right state to do it, but we could slingshot one of the two ships that we have yeah. around Gargantua to get you there. Mm-hmm. But we'll have to sacrifice the other ship and someone will need to pilot that other ship. Mm. And he uses case as well, I think. So it's like he uses case yep. to thrust one part. Yeah. Yeah. You just watch it. I, I, I get very confused about explaining this bit, but <laughs> yeah. Um, I'm also a little bit confused explaining it as well. But but yeah. yeah, this you're right, this slingshot does happen. Case is on one ship and Taz on the other ship. Um yeah. but he's he's trying to keep up communications with Taz. Because he mm-hmm. loses it with um with Brand Brand. and tries to keep it up with Taz and then Taz eventually fades out as well. Um, But he wants to keep in contact with Case because if Case gets into the black hole, he might see something that's of relevance to the mission. Yep. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. But at this point, like it's, it's important to know that he's, he's kind of given up at this point. He doesn't realize like what could happen next, you know, it's like, this is like the end of the road. And, you know, I go down this black hole and if it takes me somewhere, it takes me somewhere. If it doesn't, whatever, that's, we've died trying, I suppose. Um, but it's, it's kind of crazy. It goes, it it erupts super quick. And then he goes through a bunch of like comets and stuff. And then the spaceship starts to like explode. And then it's like eject, eject, eject. And then he eventually ejects. We can, can you imagine being in that in that situation? You're like going. You're in a black hole. Like, you're in a black eject. hole. Like, eject. All right. Well, let's eject then. <laughs> Ridiculous. But, like, you have no concept of how black holes work. So, yeah. I guess I guess you're at, you're at an impasse there, and you're with yourself. You're like, well, I don't know if I'll survive, and I don't even know if. Um, um, no, I was going to say like even if I'll die, which is the same thing. But yeah, I'm, I'm not sure <laughs> if I'm going to die. But you're always yeah. certain that you're going to die in space if you just eject. Yeah. Um, so he does that, and then he just falls forever into this like uh, sphere or abyss of something with beautiful patterns, lots of really cool symmetry, and a bunch of elastic. Yeah. <laughs> a bunch um, of elastic, yeah. He bounces yeah. around, doesn't it, like a bouncy house. Yeah, he's like falling through this, and this whole time he's falling, I'm like, how has he not ruptured his ACL already? <laughs> 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 or like how have his molecules known to stay together you know like that's true that's thinking, yeah yeah that's yeah. right you gotta you gotta suspend that disbelief so then yeah. he ends up in what would be known as a tesseract so yeah. have you seen a t- tesseract before like the uh so it looks like no. a cube from one it's um if you imagine a cube everyone let's imagine a cube and then imagine <laughs> yeah. I think it's oh. a, a larger cube that's built around it. And yep. the larger cube, all of its points are connected to the inner cube. Yep. Uh, but as you turn it, I looked you've, it up right cr- you've created a fourth dimension. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, as you turn it, you create the fourth dimension. But in yep. this, they're calling it the fifth dimension, isn't it? Yeah. Or, yeah. or, or they talk about how like we have others that are, that are communicating from the fifth dimension or something like that. Yeah, which is that's, outside that's of time. Outside of time, or time is not a concept, or whatever, or something. Like that. Or time is something you can move through, back and forth, and around. Uh, 
Yeah, that's what they can do in the fifth dimension, and they they're able to do that through gravity. I think that's how, how I understood it. And so, it. <laughs> and so what what this these other beings, which we later find out, our future humanity have done is created this tesseract play space specifically for Coops so that he can interact with Murph mm. through the power of love. Through the power of <laughs> In order to give her all of the relevant information what, what so that he'd Tom be sent say? there. Yeah. Says, Wait, what like, how are you going to do this? Through the power of love. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, oh, oh okay. so oh. good. This, this Coop was like, so smart up until this point. <laughs> but but McConaughey lands. I, I I was like, okay, I can. No, I appreciate I can, it. I can jive with this. Like that future humanity, obviously being future humanity, has all of the relevant information. Mm. And now Matthew McConaughey has all the relevant information to send back to Murph and to himself. Yeah. Through communicating in this Tesseract, which is set up as her bookshelf. Yeah, which is set up by people in the fifth dimension or the, the future, yeah. I guess. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and so then yeah, he it's, starts it's really, using that. really clever. Oof. And the watch. Oh, there's a watch. Guys, yeah, this whole a thing. Watch? Oh, yeah, the, the whole it watch. Just gets which is so a, wild. This point it's, a, it's a big. Um, I think the watch is a good conduit for the story to eventually wrap up by the time it gets to the end. And like, just in Nolan fashion, you know, uh, the way he wraps up his films, there's a lot of dense information that you're receiving as you as a viewer. Um, and so you have to be on your toes. You have to make sure you're paying attention to the dialogue. You have to make sure that you were paying attention to the beginning of the film to eventually get to that part. Um, but yeah, it's, it's really dense. So it goes through like explaining what this whole Tesseract thing is, who the people in the future are. Um, there's a little bit more science explanation. There's um, explanation around like the, the watch and using the watch as Morse code, all this kind of stuff. It's, it's quite a lot of information, but I think, it's done in a way that it's very easy to understand, at least in my perspective. It was easy enough to understand, but very difficult if you're to get into the weeds of those details. But but overall, it's quite easy to follow. The only thing that threw me off was like when he eventually said, uh, oh, no, sorry. The only thing that threw me off was the fact that I was asking the question, why, why is it only his memory or his past in the yeah. test rack? And then... Of course, it's, it's what you were saying before. The people in the future know that Coop and Murph are the saviors of the future. Humanity. And they have to, yeah, they have to send They're them Jesus, the everyone. They're the Messiah. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> they have Messiah to send them this message through the setting up the sphere. What was the sphere? Did they just call it the sphere first? Uh, like the, the the first part of the film, like at the, the beginning of the film, when you look at a the wormhole, the wormhole represents the wormhole. itself as a sphere. Because it's, it's, a, it's a, a sphere, tunnel. yeah. It is a tunnel, yeah. but it's a sphere. And when they, you look at it, and then they ask the question, "Well, who put it there?" And they said, "We don't know. We think it's them yeah. that put it there." Um, yeah. So, after having to like rewatch it again and then think about that whole thing, I was like, "Wonder if there's if it if it is a strong connection between." human beings inventing the wormhole sphere thing that eventually is connected to the Tesseract, which they also created as well. It's like my mind immediately jumps to like, how did you create all this stuff? (laughs) How how is this even possible? (laughs) Yeah. But that, but that's, that's where like suspension of disbelief isn't suspension of disbelief. There's, there's still some science fact 
involved in this. I've um I've got the quotes from it between Tars and Cooper when he's in the Tesseract and he starts to give him the information. So he says, um, it was you, uh, Murph says, it was you, you were my ghost. And then Tars calls out to him and he's like, Tars? He's like, yep, you survived? And he's like, yeah. And he's like, somewhere in the fifth dimension, this is what Tars says, they saved us. And Cooper says, who the hell is they? Why would they want to help us? I don't know, but they constructed this three-dimensional space inside of their five-dimensional reality to allow you to understand it. And he's like, well, it isn't working. He's like, yeah, it is. You've seen that time is represented here as a physical dimension. You've mm. worked out that you can exert a force across space-time. And Cooper's like, oh, I can gravity. I can use gravity to send a message because gravity can cross through the time, um, mm. through dimensions, including yep. time. Yep. Wild. That's so much to get your head wrapped around <laughs> yeah. mental gymnastics that's what it yeah. is um, if you understand a little bit of how space-time starts to work it starts like a little bit <laughs> yeah of sure man i was like learning about space-time yesterday ah uh, yeah you learn a little <laughs> bit here and there but anyways fantastic what that's a what so a crazy good. premise and this movie eases you towards this point but once you get to this point, you either can take it on or you yeah. can say, uh, this movie's dead to me. And I think this is where yeah. the movie lost a lot of people. Yeah, I and think I could imagine. Because, like, yeah, it, it gets, you it gets, say, go watch it. <laughs> yeah, I, I, th- I think you're right. Like in this final act, people people felt a little bit betrayed, perhaps. You know, they, they probably mm-hmm. thought that it was come, becoming a little bit too kind of kooky, like witchcrafty Heady. or whatever. Yeah. yeah, like, you know, or a little bit kind of, like, non-sciencey, I suppose. Like, because I know a lot of people that didn't like the last part of this film, but I think they just got lost. They got lost in um, the exposition a bit. They probably, yeah, just were found it a little bit too hard to believe when mm. he's in this kind of, like, different dimension where he sees the past. Um, so I think visually people um, are being communicated something that's a little bit different to what the dialogue actually represents. Um, sure. But I loved it. I loved it. I loved it. And then uh, we get to the very end of it where um, we have a very, very old Murph who is 120-something years old. I think she's... Um, is she 120? I think oh, it's like somewhere like that. Over 100, yeah, and she's like on her deathbed. I <laughs> know. Uh, on her deathbed. And gets to see her father for the first time which is Cooper returning back, looking like James Bond. <laughs> um, Crazy. And it's such a great moment between him and that older lady. Yeah. <laughs> it's it's a bit weird. I think this is the other jarring thing is how she kind of tells him to go away. <laughs> I, I need to be with my family now. You yeah. should go back into space and find that other woman. Well, she says it in a nice way. She says it. She, she does. She, she says does, it in yeah. a gentle way. She's yeah. like, I, I can imagine, like that's probably how it would have been because hasn't seen yeah. her father for a hundred years or so, and her father yeah. is like still the same age. Yeah. Like, so he's I mean, that what like, is he, like four years older or something. <laughs> yeah. The theological allegory now is that he is both the father, the son, and the Holy Spirit when he interacts through the Tesseract. But at this point, she becomes the mother, and he becomes the son. This is like the yeah. yeah the theological reading that Nolan's trying to push is that Cooper is Jesus, so yeah, or oh, yeah. God. Yeah. She she says that famous line as well. Uh, a parent shouldn't look or shouldn't watch their or shouldn't bury their children or something like that or shouldn't watch their children die. Um, that's a famous line from a film as well. I think it's also from 
some poet or whatever. Uh, but she says that, and um, I think it's it's kind of endearing that they don't have like a super sobby emotional moment together because it makes sense mm-hmm. like they haven't seen each other for for that long. But it's a little bit shorter for <laughs> for the dad. But then it, you know he eventually like takes on her advice. You should go look for Brand. She's out there. I think the last word yeah. she says to him is Brand. Um, I think so. Yeah. Yeah, and then eventually and- like yeah, go. Oh, sorry. Oh, and it, it comes back to that. You're the ghost of your children's future. She yeah. is now in her future and he is now just a ghost to her, looking exactly yeah. as he did when she left, when he left. Woo. Yeah. Yeah, it's super powerful. And then that's just enough for him to be prompted that he needs to go and continue his mission. He needs to go to continue, like, his exploration of a new planet, a new life or whatever. Um and it's actually a very similar ending to Anne Hathaway's character in The Dark Knight Rises, where she she eventually like is she well she's not in Paris or whatever it is <laughs> she's not in she's not in like Rome or whatever she's now in a brand new planet by herself, but eventually going to be met up with uh, Cooper, mm. which is kind of nice. I think that's a nice way to tie off their relationship. It kind of alludes mm. to this idea that you know they kind of had a little bit of romance maybe between them. Um, it wasn't a big focus, obviously. It was just more about them doing the mission. But then mm. I think I like the fact that Cooper's character could eventually in a fifth dimension afterlife or whatever is with Brand as well. I think that's a nice idea. They're, they're, the, they're the future beings. The future beings. They're the Adam and Eve, basically. They're right? the Adam and Eve as he heads off. <laughs> It'd be inter- Yeah, and I think this is like, this, like Tenet, is a, and Inception, all three of them are movies that could very easily have sequels. <laughs> That Nolan will never yeah. make, but uh, he'll never make. No, he's not a sequel no, no. guy. He's not a sequel guy. Like even the Batman trilogy uh, are very much sequels to each other. They can all be seen mm. the same line movies in many ways. So. Mm. Wild, wild. Yeah, wild, man. Wild. So that's um, that's pretty much the entire Interstellar. Like we condensed it quite a bit, but but we like to talk a lot about each part of the film. So that's why we probably skipped uh, some parts that we maybe could have spoken about but i think we covered most of i think we got most of it yeah guys it, Not most I don't of know it. If it feels like we've just like dropped into a planet and time is diluted and you're, you're, you're oh is it already the end of the podcast yeah that's that's, that's what we've done yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that's the whole point of this movie but let's just like wrap it up into um final thoughts final thoughts and mm-hmm. a rating for sure uh final thoughts what a beautiful movie what a incredible epic and definitely uh thought piece and i think something that i had it's been a while that like it's been a while for me since i've had so much feeling (laughs) crop up due to a movie uh yeah so it's great it's great to feel my feelings i cried in a movie and let me think about that i don't think it would have been that long ago oh man what oh oh yeah the um the the rescue oh man the rescue rescue. uh, on on disney uh, which is the rescue of the young Thai football team from these caves in Thailand. It's a true story. Oh. Yeah. Damn. I actually should have cried. At one point, I was going to cry in the movie, and then I stopped myself, and I lost the moment. Why did you stop Hannah was, I don't know. Hannah was really annoyed. She was like, why did you cry? I was like, I missed the moment to cry. It was a happy cry at that point, but, uh, you know. You gotta let it go, yeah. man. You just I gotta, gotta let, let it go. go. Just gotta let it let go. The, Feel my feelings. Let, 
Let, let the tears let, run. Let the, let the tears run. But uh, my rating for Interstellar, I would have to say it's just a phenomenal movie, phenomenal Nolan movie, fantastic acting, incredible premise, beautiful soundscape, amazing. i got to sit it somewhere in the 9, 9.3 to 9.8, like... <laughs> <laughs> it's you're that's a hard one. You're such, you're such a wimp. Just do it, man. I am do it. Nine point three. I'm going to do nine point three, and okay, part of it okay. is it's rewatchability. I'm looking forward to watching this movie in ten years' time. Yeah, that that's the kind of where it's at in a good way. Yeah, yeah. What about you, that's River? <laughs> um, yeah, I'm um, the same as you. Incredible movie, a huge epic. If it's if there's one movie they can wear that logo being epic it is interstellar uh this is the scope of the film it's absolutely stunning and breathtaking the shots um the camera choices like one of my favorite camera choices is the camera being stuck to the aircraft or spaceship whatever you want to call it uh the shuttle um when it's stuck to the side of it and you see its perspective of rotating and flying through space it's just and then some of the other shots where it's like a wide shot and you can see how small the endurance is compared to like gargantua or come compared to like um the black hole or something or saturn i'm like oh it's just it's it's pretty breathtaking like it's 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 a documentary on steroids with incredible narrative and characters that you can fall in love with easily um yeah. so strong strong cast in this really well casted like hats off to whoever was the casting director for getting for sort of lining up uh a young murph and a young tom mm-hmm. uh with uh casey affleck and jessica chastain really awesome casting um and i love the score the score is great it really gets under your skin um yeah Really good linear storytelling. Like, probably one of the most linear storytelling pieces for Christopher Nolan. <laughs> yeah. um, but he still has a little bit of back yeah. and forth. Um, <laughs> he does indeed. <laughs> this movie definitely does, does jump through time. <laughs> jump through time. Um, so, yeah, man, I love it. Love all the concepts. Great execution. I have yeah. to give this a 10 out of 10. Yeah, there we go. <laughs> ding, 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 ding. It's it's oh, the man. same thing, you know. It's we're always like, oh, very... we're always a little bit fearful of like giving things tens, but yeah. honestly, like when a movie, if you feel deep down inside that a movie deserves ten, just give it a ten. Hmm. And I feel that way. I feel that way strongly. Cool. I I wouldn't I wouldn't disagree, uh, but I wouldn't give it a ten myself. <laughs> <laughs> look at my look at my non-committalness. Uh, but man, yeah, I know, I know. What a good one. I'm um I'm very excited for our next review. Very Our next review, which is pretty much the second to last of the Christopher Nolan movies, um, it is Ooh. Dunkirk. So we should probably watch that together. I haven't yep. seen that since Dunkirk came out, actually, which was a few years ago. Yeah. So it'll be do- good to revisit. <laughs> I was thinking we should one day do a, uh, maybe not for Dunkirk, because I, I want to concentrate in the movie, but uh, maybe for a rewatch review, is just do um, a watch party on Let's Twitch watch or party. something. We'll Let's see how many people party. would like to follow us on our watch party. <laughs> <laughs> you can watch along or you'd be like, why the heck am I watching these guys watching this movie? And it's probably yeah. going to be Twilight Breaking Dawn or something. So, yeah, it'd be great. No. <laughs> do like a no, real do movie. <laughs> no, no, no. We should We should watch Wally, man. That'd be, we should review Wally. You should watch Wally All and right. we should review it because that's a, woo, I'm damn. Keen. I'm keen. 
Let's do Wally. So, I haven't seen it, so I'd love to watch it. Awesome. Um, if people want to stalk you, where can they stalk you? Sweet. So I have a new Instagram account, guys. My first one got hacked. So uh, <laughs> don't follow or unfollow my old account and block and report that bugger. And uh, you can find me at at Nath, N-A-T-H, underscore, underscore, Sammy, S-A-M-I, at Nath, underscore, underscore, Sammy. Yeah. You, River? <laughs> nice, nice. Uh, you can find me, River, underscore, Vili, that is V-I-L-I, that is on Instagram, so and on Facebook. You, no, don't look me up on Facebook. Please don't <laughs> follow me on Facebook. <laughs> um, but more importantly, you can follow the Legit Cool Podcast on Instagram, which is at Legit Cool Podcast, and you can find us on Facebook, which is Legit Cool Podcast Movie Talk. Um, and to stay on top of the episodes that we're releasing every now and then, hopefully once a week if we keep up a good pace, um, hit the notifications button on whatever platform you're listening from. You can obviously find us on Spotify if you're listening from there, Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, Podbean as well. Um, and shout out to Podbean and also Riverside for recording and hosting the podcast. Um, so we will see you guys in the next episode which is probably going to be uh moon Knight, right we oh, need to talk about moon Knight. um talk about moon Knight. we need to talk about that i really enjoyed it so okay i kind of okay. kind of sometimes kind of you're back i'm looking forward to it i'm looking forward <laughs> to our review and uh, we'll probably bring uh jc back for that as well so we'll bring yeah, the good. three amigos back to do that cast um and in the meantime, yeah, just uh, stay on top of our social media. Uh, you'll see all the updates. You're going to see some cool news from us. Thank you for joining us. Thank you again, Nathan. Sure. Sure, sure. And we'll see sure, everybody. Sure, <laughs> we'll see everybody in the next episode. Bye-bye. See you guys. Thank you.